welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, the king is back. Return of the king of the punk rock wrestling connection, Robbie Brookside, comes here for a, a part three, but really a part two. More on that in one second. But believe me, if you thought the first one was good, oh boy, oh boy. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, except this week, Tristan Abraham. Thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do. He also runs a Facebook page and an Instagram page for this podcast. Both of those are found at turnedoutapunk on their respective platforms. If you want to get in touch with me directly, you can find me at left Damien on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you want to support this show, the best way of doing that is by heading over to uh, your friend's house. Yeah, probably not right now. Don't head over physically to your friend's house, but, but tell them that you listen to this podcast. Just spread the word. That's the best way to support this thing. If you want to support this thing other ways, you can uh, subscribe to it and rate it on iTunes. Thank you to everyone that gives it a five-star review. Really, really appreciate that. You can also head over to patreon.com slash punk. And check out the stuff we do over there, footnotes and whatnot. Or you can, uh, you know, uh, just, just, uh, you know, just, just, I don't know, something. <laughs> but speaking of support, this thing would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks of Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do. Just don't lose money on it anymore. And they, you know, have allowed me to do it without, you know, losing my shirt. Which, you know, you've seen me with other shirts. It's, it's not pretty, so I'm, I'm glad I get to keep that thing on. Uh, and uh, that is it. And on to today's show. Today on the show, Robbie Brookside, the king, the king of the punk rock wrestling connection, is back for more. For those of you unfamiliar, go back and check out Robbie's first appearance on the show way back when. And uh, I, I kind of laid it all out there. But basically, in short, I heard rumor through my friend Clint Chapman, shout out to Clint Chapman again, about this record-collecting wrestler that had this ridiculous collection of records and tapes and, and had been involved in stuff for years. And he didn't have a name for me at the time. And then I went to All Ages Records, and shout out to All Ages Records, great store in London. And they told me about this guy, Robbie Brookside, that had come in and bought all this great stuff and, like... I was like, ah, how good could his taste be? And it turns out it's pretty spectacular. And then, uh, I don't know, I think it was through Twitter. Yeah, I think it was through Twitter. We laid out on the other show. We connected, and we've been friends ever since. And, uh, I, I, you know, I could punish Robbie forever. This show, we could we could scrap Turn It a Punk, and it could just be, you know, Robbie Brookside fan. And it'd just be me asking about records he has in his collection and talking to him about bands. Because I have fun every single time we do it. We've, we've done this other times and not recorded it, so... We decided to finally lay one down onto tape and whoo, whoo, you know, stories about crass going to wrestling matches. Like that's, that's what I live for. That's why I do this podcast. That's the kind of stuff that I'm, I'm fiending for. That keeps me going. And so, you know, that's what you're going to get. Spoiler. That's what you're going to get in a minute. Uh, that's it though. I don't think there's anything more to say about this one. Uh, Robbie Brookside, of course, is now an NXT trainer. You can see him on TV. I've heard rumors. There might even be a documentary in the works, fingers crossed for that at some point. And uh, yeah, this is it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the king, Wildcat Robbie Brookside on Turned Out a Punk. Robbie Brookside, thank you so much for coming back on the show. 
We're back, lads. We're back with part two. Part two. Technically, even like maybe a part three, because you did do very kindly a call-in cameo from the live Punk Wrestling Connection episode that I did in L.A. too. So uh, this this kind of, guess, counts as almost a part three. So I really appreciate you putting up with me for three parts now. That, that was an extra EP, the middle bit. That was just an extra EP. Just exactly. The first bit. So we're back with... We're back with a new full length. Well, and I am, I am, you know, as excited as Ray Capo to yell, we're back for this time, because uh, <laughs> since you've been on, you know, like I've had, you know, a lot of other wrestlers come on that are fans of punk rock, but really, you know, you set a high bar with your deep head knowledge of punk rock. And since then you and me have exchanged many conversations about old punk rock flyers and, and anyway, this has been a long time coming, and I'm I'm blessed to have you back on this thing. It's it's lovely to hear your your lovely positive voice, in in times like this, it's, and it's nice to be back and uh, to talk about all things punk. Yeah, like something that's strangely completely irrelevant right now, but also very much relevant in the subject matter of punk rock. Like this is a time that we, as punk rock fans, have been hearing about forever. Mm, yeah, yeah. That, that's... Crash the the crash prediction came through. I don't like. I don't know. You just got to try and keep your heads up and keep you know keep smiling. And I I always try and put a smile on people's face faces and um, none more so like in times like this. I've got where I live in Florida. I live in a sort of condo block flat, and um, there's like a lot of old sort of Latino women that live here, and they make me cake, and they've got little dogs and. Um, we social distance, of course, but I go out and we have like little dances to um, Cynthia Cruz, just to show you how, how cosmopolitan. <laughs> uh, just you know, it it can't be easy for for anyone in a time like this. But just to go with your neighbours and and have a laugh and have some sort of community giggle and a little jiggle, um, it's a nice thing to do. And uh, away from obviously my job and and, and my uh, musical musical loves, I think that's important to to try and make people you know keep them keep them sane and keep them or try and keep them happy yeah absolutely and i think you know well one thing that you know not, not to change subjects but and roll right into it but one thing that definitely put me in a good mood and a smile on my face was hearing you kind of like talk about you know all this crass love you know before we mm -hmm. got on air and like you know even buying the fanzine toxic graffiti back in the day yeah i think i was about i must have been 14 and I didn't, I didn't understand to probably five, six of the politics in there because my mum and dad were like, they weren't anything radical or anything like that. My dad was ex-military and my mum was, you know, a fireball kind of thing. And so they used to watch the news and then I used to cringe when they watched the news and kind of go up to my room and play some punk and whatever. And I, I remember getting the toxic graffiti because it had a crash flexi and coming back from probe and thinking what how am i going to do this because it was like a square piece of plastic and I, I was a bit confused by it because we were talking before about the the pop magazine called flexi flexi pop mm -hmm. it sort of took it off its little bit of the adhesive and put it on your record player and you used to have to put like a, a 10 pence if it skipped in the like please put a 10 pence on this bit um so yeah the, that was that was always a thing, and I, I didn't 
I, I don't know if I told this story last time. I, I went away for a week somewhere. I forget. I was wrestling like probably 17 or 18 by then. And um, I come back and I had, must have had three, three, three and a half hundred fanzines of like real, like nowadays you couldn't even buy these things. And um, I come back and I'd gone in my room and I've gone, Mum was the, it was like a big vacuum cleaner box. Like obviously it was empty. Where's the Where's the box of magazines gone? She went, oh, I, I've done you a favour. The bin man came and I get, he, he took it for us as if like he was doing me a favour. I was going, no. Like, I was like, I, I, I think I, I went off in like a little tizzy and started crying. <laughs> and the, the toxic graffiti was in there. It was one of, and I had all the sort of the early Liverpool music zines and, and um, all that all the early sort of Anaco and, and Oi zines. And, oh, there was just, I had this like mad collection of stuff. And I don't know, like, you know, obviously <laughs> you go away wrestling, you come back and the larder was bare. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, Crass were like, from when I was a kid, I went to see Crass for the first time. And uh, I think it might've been 1980 in... Liverpool's, uh, oh, the oh, what's it called? The, it's it's oh, oh, it's like a an art art centre. Oh, what's it? But it's right by Probe Records now. It'll come back to me. Mm-hmm. And it was like a school hall with a stage on, and I think they played on. Um, no, it was the first time I ever saw Bjork because Kuka were playing. Oh, fucking awesome! And that was like, uh, I, like I didn't know anything about Kukul. I didn't know they were from Iceland or anything like that. And, like there's this little girl jumping up and skipping around, and she's probably she was probably eighteen, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how old Bjork is, but she's probably a bit older than me. But um, certainly that stuck out. And then there was D and V, who were this this the fella, a Cockney fella, or two Cockneys with a drum, and they just played drumming. I think it was drum and guitar or drum and bass, not like as in the dance. <laughs> and then I think it was a flux of Pink Indians and then Crass. And the stuff that they were saying was just, it, you know, for a 14 year old coming from Liverpool 4 with a kind of, you know, not not so radical background, it was quite a, a lot to, to take in. And um, I think they played the warehouse. And then I was talking to. Johnny Moss is one of the my fellow coaches, and he comes from up Cumbria, and I got to know a few of the, the sort of the punks and the anarcho punks and whatnot. And they said we're going up to this place near Carlisle called Cleetermore. Crass are playing up there. I think that might have been eighty-one. I know I got into trouble. It was another one of those times where punk and schooling got in. Got in. I'd like some sort of Atlantic and. Um, Gulf, that Mexican Gulf storm in the middle of my house kind of reaction from my mum and dad. But we went up to this place and it was Cleetermore. It was like a, a community centre and Crash played there. And there was like 50 skinheads with England shirts on. And it was absolute. I mean, the the transit van, there was about 10 of us who went in the back of a transit and that got bricked and there was like so much scrapping and, and, and all that, all that that came at that particular time and at the scene where there was unfortunate th- people doing unfortunate things and uh, the Anacos were there kind of thing who didn't 
yeah, it was it was pretty mad, but like and scary. But now when you think about it, like it was, I I, I was glad that I did it because it was like going to a football away game, but with music instead of football. <laughs> quite, quite an experience, but um, I I probably saw Crash about four four times. Saw them at I think the last time I saw them was at the Lark Lane in Liverpool. There used to be a an anarchist sort of group called Black and White that used to put shows on, and they played they put conflict and um and be like I don't I want to say four times I might have been five because I used to stay in London I'd, I'd go to shows in like places I should never have gone on my own you know them like in um, uh, the old anarchist Central Iberico not it wasn't in a good part of town but I went to some shows there while it was there and. Uh, but anyway, um, I started doing the... I'd already done the pirate radio thing in Birkenhead. And I was in regular contact with John Loder, who was... Uh, he ran Southern Studios, who distributed all the Crash catalogue and um, Corpus Christi and Spiderleg and all, all of that stuff. They also did Discord eventually too, I believe, right? It's, yes, yes. And, and Maximum Rock and Roll. Yeah. Kent Jolly... Ken Jolly was that's a name for that's a blast from the past. Ken Jolly, I got to know because of Screen, and she was great. I think she ended up marrying the road, uh, Pete the Roadie, was it from the Subhumans? We're yeah. going around the we're going, we're going around, but Kent was always great. Um, I remember going to a squat gig with AYS, and I, I didn't even want to stay over. And we were in this like really dodgy part of Hackney, and um, I, I Pete Stahl from Screen was like, he took me. And I said, I don't want to be here. Me, 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 my sister lives in, um, she lived in somewhere close to Hackney. And I said, I'll just call her and go, no, come on, Rob. Come on, Rob. So we went to this squat <laughs> gig at three o'clock in the morning with AYS and members of More to Hate Records. But anyway, um, I, one, one of the funniest uh, or bizarre moments of my early career was when... Um, out of the blue, Joy Aviv called me mum and dad's house. So, and I'm I'm wrestling that night at a place called the uh, Catford Lewisham Concert Hall, Catford. So she said, like, oh, you know, uh, did you get the? I think the Acts of Love had just come out, the Penny Rimbard thing, and yeah, yeah, I've got you. We're, we're we're all interested in 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 wrestling. She said, uh, Phil Free, who was the bait, I think he was the bass player, and the. Um, there was a, a bass, but there was a girl bass player from Flux called Sue. I I always remember. So there was like four of them. She said, "Is there any chance you can get us some tickets for tonight?" She said, "You know." I went, "Are you joking?" And she went, "No, no." So I said, "Yeah." And this is before like cell phones and all that. And I just saw a crash come on because they never kind of mingled, you know. And when I when I saw them, I was like twelve, fourteen, probably the oldest being. 17 or maybe 18 top whack anyway um we go down to to um to lewisham catwell catford southeast london and i leave four tickets on the on the thing and I, so then i go out and I, I, the people collected the tickets in, in the box office yeah they're over there so i go over and i think they were expecting like some i don't know some gigantic 300 pound guy you know like with and I went, I'm, I'm Rob Brookside. I said, oh, 
and they were all like school teachers. I thought like they were going to give me homework or something like that. And it was, <laughs> it was like, strange. So we, we put, put them, they were, they were, there's, a, there's a balcony overlooking the ring and they had front rows. So I went up and sat with them, had a cup of tea. This is like, I don't know, it's like 6.30. Show starts at quarter to eight. So we're talking away and I'm giving them that my, you know, my glory, glory days of being crass and uh, the create, talking about the Cleta Morse thing and whatever. And they were like, they were really nice, just like super nice people and whatever. And then they bought, the, the guy who used to work for Brian Dixon used to sell raffle tickets. So they bought like a stri strip of raffle tickets because Brian was like, he hated giving free tickets away. So they, they got free tickets. They got to buy some raffle tickets. So they bought, <laughs> so like the fans were coming in and like, so the, a couple of fans see me. So anyway, I go backstage and first on, forget who I was on with, but I was getting my head kicked in a little bit. And then I, I, I started like mounting the comeback and like getting a few offensive shots in, man. And I, I remember looking up and like the three from Crash and the girl from Flux of Pink Indians are all on the feet going, bash his head in. <laughs> and just this like instant moment going, aren't you supposed to be promoting pacifism and freedom and, and love? <laughs> and they were like, they were totally into it. They were like punching the air and like, kill him. Matters went worse in the like in the interval because people had obviously saw these people sat sat with me, and um, they won the main raffle prize. So there was like a big stitch. <laughs> crash had stitched the wrestling business up like winning like a, I don't know a gigantic box of chocolates or something like that. It was uh, it's one of those moments that I always look back and smile. And um, they, but they were they were like really nice, really joys uh, of Eve, and. Obviously, her legendary vocals in, in, in Crass, uh, you know, they, they've stood the test of time and, and they, will, they will go on to do that. Like, so it was just bizarre to have, like, Crass come and, and like, jump up and say, kill him. <laughs> mad, mad crazy moments. Well, like, you know, we were talking earlier off air about, like, all the you know, amazing sounds that kind of came out of punk rock and people that took this thing into completely different directions. The fact that you have like a band like the Vaselines existing mm -hmm. in the same world that you have a band like Crass existing, but like, yeah, there's something about Crass that's just so timeless. Like there's just, it still sounds really new today. You know, like it just, it's just very much, uh, like a real artistic achievement. I remember my sister used to come in and into my room and take my records. She, she'd get like the, the Scottish bands and the Liverpool bands like the Associates or Joseph K or the Teardrop Explodes. And she never had a clue how to put a record on. So they'd come back with like bits of biscuit on and scratched and stuff like that. So I, I used to have a, I used to have a 60 minute, whenever I was downstairs and, and, and I knew she was going out, she was going out to town and whatever. Cause my sister was into originally into punk. She, she used to got she liked the uh, Gang of Four. She was really into them, <clears throat> and um, but she liked the Liverpool scene. So I had a sixty-minute tape on on constant play on me on me uh, cassette player with um, Reality Asylum. So she wouldn't go in the room. <laughs> it, was, it was so scary, you know. And it's not. It's it's like a. I don't know what that is. It's it when you first hear that, you think, "Wow, is this could be the end for everyone." You know, it, it's such a 
powerful piece of uh, is it, it, it noise music art power poetry I, I don't know um but it kept my sister out of my room and it kept me my tears up and explodes and my wah heat records safe for another day kind of thing but uh yeah it, it some of it you know was too much for for a young lad to take you know i need the people to to sort of guide me guide me to what was going on with it because like, like you know I, the, I had a very it wasn't a close you know it wasn't a closed childhood because i lived on the streets and played football and had scraps in the streets and you know what everyone does in liverpool for but certainly i wasn't you know given heads up to you know bigger things that have happened in the world and i just had to go out and kind of read books and and stuff like that but Crass was certainly one of the major influences of that of that time, and to this day, I've, I've, someone sent me the thing. It was Giancarlo that said that like uh, Steve Ignorance is re- releasing some box set or something, and then put. I, I'm not. I haven't. I haven't looked into it yet. Like, but but he was the he was like the Jack the lad, wasn't he? He was like the young the young lad, Steve Ignorance. Yeah, that's what. That, yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of documentaries on on YouTube, and uh, it's just he's so not crass. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, you know, P- Penny lives in like this little commune in Dial House and whatever. And we, when we go over to NXT UK, we actually we're we're probably half a mile from Dial House, but I will not tread in Epping Forest because it's you can get lost in there. You know, it's a bit it's a bit vague and weird and in, in in Epping like. But I'd love to go and just sit down have a cup of herbal tea with him and just see how he, how he is because what an influence he was but Steve Ignorant was just this alright mate uh, as, as a guy mate as it happens kind of character and uh, you know and it, he was the the, the the charismatic part of Crash when you went to see them when you went to went to a show obviously they'd done all like this, the cinema things and whatever else but he was like the sort of kind of the connection between like all that sort of political stance that they they, they had and it, like he was like the, the street boy he was like the well if he can do it we can do it kind of connection i always related a lot more to in the shows and stuff like that he was chirpy and bouncy and charismatic where everyone else used to just sort of stand there and play their instruments and let him do the do the thing like did you you, you never saw crass no, I never got to see him like till more recent. Well, like Steve Ignorant is doing kind of like um, taking, I think it's with Paranoid Visions actually as the backing band, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, they're, they're from Northern Ireland. They're really good. Then. Yeah, fantastic band. Um, but not back in the day, I didn't get to see him. But, you know, like you're saying, I never thought of it that way. But you're right. It's almost like it's almost perfectly cast to have like sort of this young rep scallion as like the entryway for the audience to kind of see how they could get into the politics of this band or get into this band. If he can do it, then you can do it, kind of thing. Absolutely. You know, it's um, you can always relate to Steve Ignorant. And watching the documentaries, you know, he's you know he's a kind of like southern geezer, all right, mate. And uh, goes to the pub and has a pint and watches England play. Kind of, <laughs> kind of like so not crass now when you're in that in hindsight, but you know, it's uh, they, they were you know they were great times, great times to go. On. You know, you look back at it and, you know, they the weren't at the time because you were like 14 and you're finding 
you know, when you're 14 and you're in Liverpool and there's no unemployment and you, you're being basically told that you, you're going nowhere, and this is by 80% of the teachers that are supposed to be influencing you. It was, um, music was, and predominantly punk rock and the new wave scenes were the ones that were, were shouting out to me, you can do this. You know, and that was that was really important. And obviously you had the Anacosia. And the great thing about the punk scene then was that there was the Anaco scene, which was the more, should we say, educated. You know, like the people read books before they put out a record kind of thing. And and then you had like the sort of, I'm not saying Discharge never wrote a book, uh, read, read a book or anything, but you had all that like clay, clay scene, you know, with, Discharge and and uh, GBH and Dead Wretched that was like like a mid Midlands thing going on, and um, you had the Oi scene and like the street punk scene. I actually found the other day I'm going off off topic here, but there was a band, and I I don't know whether what the their thing is. They were, they were like an Oi band from one of those areas where you could say, well, yeah, they support England, In, and um, they were called Indecent Exposure. And they've got, so they've got a seven inch out and they made me a one-off sleeve. It's the, it's the only, it's the first seven inch. And I went on Discogs and I went, well, there's got to be one more. And I remember they sent me a letter saying, this is just for you. We've gone out, we've gone to Pronto Print, which is the old print place where you used to get topped off for getting like one A4, like photocopy. It was like 15 pence. How much? And um, they made this, this special sleeve for me so i was just doing a you know obviously we've got more time at home at these these times i've been delving into my um, record collection which kind of depresses me a little bit because if something happens to me it's there's, there's a there's a lot of weight in that room you know there's a lot of um a lot of stuff and whatnot and um i found a, a seven inch by a band cut from um <clears throat> crew of all places there's two punk bands from Crew called Corpse and Two Fingers Approach, and I've got the two finger. I found the Two Fingers Approach seven inch, which is called World War Album, and it's got it's it's uh, stapled together, which I think is like quite punk. <laughs> I just well, I I put I started putting shows on, and um, Corpse played. This was after the infamous Crucifix thing, where we all ended up sleeping in a in a field. I think I touched on that last time yeah a little bit i think and um so we we tried to put dirt on dirt someone else and um corpse and then dirt uh, it was these times when bands used to phone you up at five o'clock saying oh we broke down on the motorway which was a generic way to say oh we can't be asked and i think we just had we ended up having corpse society's problems who were like this punk band that I used to get gigs for in from a place called Skemmersdale outside Liverpool, which is uh it's like an, an overspill part of Liverpool, which is about eight, ten miles outside and uh, has its own has its own niche in Liverpool history. And um, there was a, an all girl punk band called the Iconoclasts and they played as well. And there was there was also bands at the time um who were I don't think they ever put a record out, but they were on the son of OLP, and they were called Clockwork Destruction. I got that LP. I know that band. <laughs> yeah, and so I've, I, I used to have a load of live tapes by them, but I kind of sold them 
uh, they were the original copies as well of um, like, and they had their own little. So if you put them on, you could guarantee that fifteen people had come. Oh, you know, you you had like a guy, and they they just play play for like drinks and whatever else. I used to put shows on in in um, Brady's. Well, it was called Brady's. It was the the original Eric's Club, and um, Gatsby's. Gatsby's was this. It it, it was it was. You've been, you've been to Liverpool, you know what? It, um, so in Matthew Street, where it's now the Beatles Street, isn't it? It's just all Beatles and stuff. But it wasn't back then. It was just a, a rundown. And I saw something online the other week where it, it was true. Before John Lennon was 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 murdered, like no one was bothered about them. They weren't. They weren't like there was nothing there at all. And there was a thing in in Eric's that they took down the Beatles just because it was the Beatles. But um, there was a club called Gatsby's, which you got to from the other side of the, of the block on Victoria Street, and they used to call it Ratsby's because obviously it was it had. Uh, some of our small mammal friends residing in there, and I put I put quite a quite a few shows on there. And before, I, I, it, it was kind of one of those things where you wanted to put a show on and work with the bands and go around and get chased by police for fly posting and whatever else. But I've done that for wrestling anyway, so it was I, you know there were there were great times and and most of the bands that I put on were like friends anyway that used to write to and stuff. Um. And then my two mates, Peck and, and Pete Cross, started putting shows on under the the guidance of the name Under Siege Promotions because they love Siege, you know, the band from Boston. Absolutely. Um, so that that was a that was another big thing when when that tape came in, and um, my mate Pete came to my mum's and put the put the kettle on, um, had the hobnob biscuits, and he said, "Listen to this," and it was another one of the what's that. How, hey, you know, it was like <laughs> couldn't fathom it out at all. It was just, um, you know, and that that demo became, you know, a walk of life basically for a lot of us. And obviously the the lads that went on to to do records for Carcass and and Napalm and all that came on. Notably, Napalm were like kind of spin-offs from from the Siege thing, and uh, yeah, that was. That was a mad moment when that siege thing came in, but they they started putting shows on. Um, I think we put the instigators on one time in some community centre outside the town, which is always a bit risque because you get all like the kids playing footy outside and go, "Oh, look at his head," <laughs> you know, like in some spiky head punk, and and it draws attention to the the actual the show and then the next thing you've got all these like scowls in uh, shell suits coming out and smashing things up and whatever else but yeah that's really that's the there was a lot of people putting shows on after the 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 likes of the Royal Court the Royal Court put shows on but they were bigger bands the warehouse that was always a good place to go and see it there was about there was a place called the Masonic but they kind of stuck to the um they like the Liverpool bands, and I'm just trying to think of the other venues in Liverpool, like Brady's. Went. Have you have you ever heard of the fellow Roger Eagle? Have you ever heard that name? I don't think so. So he he was a he was a fella. I just, like he was like a, a legend in Liverpool. He um 
he was originally from Oxford, and he, he, he ended up going up to Manchester and having these clubs that were the pre-Northern Soul clubs in Manchester. The, the, the spin-off was the Northern Soul. Mm-hmm. He ended up, um, he was qu- quite a character, and it, he, he had, like, he was into, like, reggae and blue beat and, and, like, the early Scar stuff, and he had these mad collections, and he was heavily involved with Probe Records at the beginning because Probe was up um, up towards the cathedrals, up on uh, past Hardman Street up there, before it went down to um, the, the the best place was on the corner of Button Street and round the corner from Matthew Street. And he ended up coming to Liverpool and running Eric's. He started the club Eric's, which, you know, and there's all sorts of legends about the, the Sex Pistols. Did they or didn't they play? I wasn't there, so... But the, the, there are now accounts that they did play Eric's and there's like a contract in his book, in, in this book. He's, he's passed away a long time since. Mm-hmm. This fella just came from nowhere. Well, he didn't come from nowhere. He came from, Man- he came from Manchester. But his, his chapter in, in Liverpool musical history and punk rock history should never be, you know, unnoticed. He, he did everything. And then the, the that was going down the hill and then they started Brady's. And then he, he went to Bristol and he, ended, he resurfaced in Manchester at the International, which was an, another, like, club that, that by this time, death metal and the earache thing was going on. So, the, but, the, but he loved the soul and reggae music. That was his forte kind of thing. Mm. But he, he loved the... the the challenge of punk. So the, the the gigs that they used to pull out, I remember going to see Steel Pulse when, I, I don't know, I was like 14 or 15 and used to get threatened by the bouncers. The bouncers, if I find you having an ale in there, I'll give you, I'll belt you. So you, <laughs> yeah, you used to stand at the back and be privileged, like, you know, oh yeah, I'm in here. Um, so yeah, Roger Eagle is a, is a name and, and he's a mad one for you. Um, I used to go to Liverpool Stadium uh, as a kid. That's the reason or the, the catalyst for why I'm talking to you now because if I wasn't a wrestler, I probably wouldn't, well, I wouldn't be here, but that's for sure. But I used to go and watch the, the wrestling with my auntie and there was like a little kiosk in the Liverpool Stadium. I can't describe how like magical this place was. It was old and run down. And they, Roger Eagle used to put shows on in there. He put Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and, and had the creme de la creme, the Sex Pistols, the Damned, Susie and the Banshees and someone else. And the, the, all the petitioners went out and they got it banned. But every Friday, Brian Dixon put wrestling on and there was a, like a little little concessions, little hole in the wall. And there were these two like students, he, like Toya Wilcoxy look lookalike, and like I was like, I was probably like 12, 13, 14 at the time. So I used to go and get like a cup of tea and a Mars bar. And like when you're 14, you look at like, oh, she looks just like Toya on top of the pops. And like you give them the money, you come back. And so I knew that there was one of, one of the girls that worked in there. So years later, I like, Obviously, the stadium closed down and it got bulldozed and whatever else. And I started wrestling at 15. And then I was riding along on the crest of a wave. And then 
I went to the first ever Planet X uh, incarnation. It was up on Bold Street, up off one of the streets off Bold Street. I went to see Alien Sex Fiend, who the um, Anagram Records got me on the guest list because I was playing their stuff on the, the pirate thing. And um, I walked in and I, I go to get a drink. And it was like one of them like moments where you, 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 you've lived it before. I go, and, and like this woman looks at me and she points at me and I point at her. And at the same time, we went, Liverpool Stadium. And her name's Doreen Allen. And she, I said, what are you doing here? She said, I own it. I went, you own this? How, can, how have you been able to? She said, how do you think all them nights at Liverpool Stadium? I made a lot of money there. I was like, wow, this is this is a bizarre connection of, again, the punk wrestling connections come back to, like, kick me head in with a pair of airway. Yeah, it's it's unreal how that always seems to happen. But that's I, I had no idea that Planet X had that kind of connection to wrestling. So Doreen used to, and, um, like, then they went down to Temple Street, which is kind of like the, the part of town I love. I love it, you know, because Liverpool Stadium was down there and it's, I don't know. It was like to me. I went to see the best music as a kid. I got great memories, and Pro Records was down there, and that's the, the part of town that I used to hang around and whatnot. And then, um, like Pete and Peck put shows on there for about. Well, they put like weekly shows on really, and any any band, and it was a great time when all the American, Canadian, European bands were coming over. Um. I remember Toxic Re- there was a time when Toxic Reasons and Anti Cymax were staying in Liverpool. That was a bizarre moment. Did they play together or no? Just like Well no, um well they, they put a Toxic Reasons put a, a record out on Skysaw Records, it was a seven inch called Bless America. And Anti Cymax put out a, a, a twelve inch. And he, uh, the guy who ran that, he, he had the a record shop. His name was Pete. Um, he was an older guy. He was always dead nice and everything. But he had a record shop up by uh, the bombed out church in Liverpool. And they, for some reason, like they put these records out. It was like a crazy time. Like I remember, do you want to come and hang out with Anti Cymex? <laughs> and I went, who? And Pete Peck, who loved them, he loved all that Scandinavian stuff. Started like shouting down at them, you know, ah, rah, they're one of my favorite bands. And uh, so we go down, have a like because Peck had to have a bevy. Pete was like straight edge, he was like heavily into his like vegan and and straight edge stuff, even like 85, 86. He was like heavily into that. So if he saw you with a pint, he'd just go like, like a future member of Earth Crisis or something, you know. And, and they and we used to get kebabs walking home at night and he'd get like an onion bargy kebab and every footstep you took he'd, he'd just have you off but you know i i respected you know and they used to cut he used, him and another lad called bilzo would do me like vegan dinners and they were nice they were like sauce mix and you you know i hate to say that you couldn't tell the difference kind of thing but i'd never agree with that because they go yeah you see we are right and but they were just fun times you know like they didn't understand wrestling at all. So, and so wrestling was never a debate, you know, it was always sort of what was going on in the music scene and whatnot. Bill's always Evertonian. So we, we sort of spoke about that, but, um, 
and the fact that when you're growing up, I, th- I think in the punk scene when you're a kid, you need older punks to kind of look after you. You know, it's important to think that. And I, I looked around, I look around the punk scene in, in Liverpool, and there's kind of that like sort of school. You know, when you go to school and you're in your first year in senior school and all the fifth years are like, and then you go on, I'm never going to be like that when I'm in the fifth year. And by the time you've gone through all your, you look at the first years and go, well, I wasn't like that when I was a kid. And that kind of mentality. So I always kind of spoke to the kids and there was like, there was like, there was a lad called Sick of War who run, what was it, Plot Sickens or what, Raising Hell fanzine. I think his name is Ben and they used to kind of like treat him and go, oh, he's, he's dead boring. But I used to go over and talk to him, you know, because I, I, I didn't know he was boring. Yeah. So I, I couldn't, you know, stand there, and I, especially at a punk show. So I used to I used to talk to a lot of people and, and get perspectives and, and listen to them. And it was like just interesting when, like, say, a band like Heibel, who came from Belgium, I remember uh, their lead singer, I just sat there all night with him talking about like Belgian beer and standard Liège and and uh, fox hunting and stuff like just like very like <laughs> diverse conversations kind of thing but it was um yeah I, I I've always been you know because that that 14 year old kid in six years time is going to be 20 so you know like you, you know foxy and all that all that crew well they yeah. were all young young lads and I, I always used to always like speak to them and laugh with them and, and, and give them, you know, some of my time because I think that's that, that's kind of important to do that. And I think it, it comes back, you know, it, you know, years later, like Fox, Foxy became this like promoter and, you know, they, they all went on to greater things and, um, you know, like Ro- Robbie Reed, I remember him and Pete Cross bashing heads and whatever else, but I always like had time for Robbie Reed and, Actually, used to go over to Poulton Road, where the jail cell recipe seven inch, the infamous Poulton Road, and him and um, what was it? Sanjay? Um, Sanjay was the first lead singer of Carcass, and uh, there was like a whole crew of them. They were like two or three, four years younger, but I, I always gave them time and whatever. And, and I think I think that's important. You know, that's I, I, and it, now you, you you go well. You, you look at them and you go, well, yeah, I was, you know, it's it, it's it's right to do that, not to put someone that had only kids, you know. That, um, but anyway, I'm rambling on here. No, no, that's I think that's what you're saying is true, right? Like that's why this thing survived is because it was passed down and because there's always like, you know, it's always like you're trying to encourage people to get in as much as you're like, as you're saying that fifth year. That's also like, what are you doing in the scene? You're also always constantly trying to bring people into it because, you know, eventually it gets to a point where you age out and the only reason it's going to go on is because there's another wave of kids to kind of take it up. Definitely. And I think it's just the right, I think it's a punk thing to do. Mm-hmm. I do, you know, like if you go back to that crash story, they were all like old enough to be like my mother, maybe Joy Devere, if you're listening to this, I don't, I don't mean, but my grandmother, you know, like um, it's, but they, they gave, they made me feel for that, for those for those moments, first of all, they were like very grateful that I got them tickets, and I just thought, you know, and they were talking to me like, you know, they weren't like putting me down and going, 
oh well when you get to our age kind of thing it and i, I was used to school teachers doing that to me mm-hmm. you know in the late 70s school teachers just used to throw things at you if they, if they wanted to teach you anything it was like Rah! or get to the headmaster's office you're getting the stick and i i wouldn't have classed myself as unruly at school you know it was just one of those things and i, th- I think when you learn from from that and you and you take that on board and then you try and do that for other people i think it's i think it's a very punk thing to do and um I'm obviously not connected with the punk scene as much. I go to some shows here, where, obviously before the before the lockdown and, and whatnot, um, and got to know the guy from Total Punk, uh, Rich, and uh, I, it was kind of good because, and again, it, he's involved in this, I don't know what you call death match thing, but yeah, you know, obviously I've got to distance myself from kind of thing. I've saw some of your documentaries, man. <laughs> Sorry, it's art. It's art. Sorry, sorry, darling. Um, but again, he, he runs Total Punk, and um, and and has this connection with with kinds of wrestling. And it's again, it's it's not my world or anything. But I'm not, you know, going to knock the, the the people that do that because there are certain people out there that like that, you know. And and that's if that's what you, you know, there's certain bands. Like seven seven minutes of nausea. <laughs> I mean, you get the seven inch. You go, I'm never playing that again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a kind of punk, but it's it's just different than like that kind of thing. But um, so it's it, I, one of me one of my most memorable nights is I took various members of NXT to a subhuman show, uh, and it was it was just such a good night. Um, we um, it was sold out, and then this is where sometimes it can come in. So like I, I was gonna pay for like five was getting in, and he said it's sold out, and then a fella came out of um, the bar. Um, what's it called? Oh, my mind's gone. My mind's gone, mum. Um, Will's pub, and um, and I know Dick from like we put the subhumans on and. But he won't. He won't remember. Well, he remember my name, but he won't remember me as. And uh, some fella, he said, "Yeah, NXT, come this way." And we got the wristbands on. He said, "In you go." And, I, and um, it was just great to see um, some of some of my colleagues because they, they they'd never heard of the Subhumans and they they took it all in. And, and they, if you wanted them to to take th- certain things from the show, they got it. Which I thought was great, and I, they're such a great band anyway. You know, like if you, I, I don't know, Dick's probably sixty now, isn't he? He's, and he, he's still acting sixteen on stage. Well, because what was but, their band before that? Epileptics, right? I think. Who? Oh, they were. Uh, what, what's the pre? No, epileptics were Flux of Pink Indians. Oh, I, I thought they had a pre. There's like some pre uh, Subhumans band. There was a pre Subhuman. Uh, now you've got me. Sorry, uh, I didn't mean to put that. Sorry, yeah, it's it's one of those ones on one of the early tapes on Blake. Um, oh, you've got me, and I'm not one of these who go right. I'm going on Google now to prove you. Wrong. You know, I I can't remember, but like I used to have all those like Blake. I had every every Blake release that they ever did. But yet there, um, no, there's not. There's one band called Organized Chaos. Now you really. This is like 1980. This isn't it? All this ca- actually could be 79, 70. I think, even right. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, because um, Demolition of War came out probably 80. Yeah. 80. Oh, thanks for that one, Damien. That was a, that was that's that's proper shock of me. I didn't know. Suffice to say, I'm not I'm not involved. You know, like in any shape or form. Like I, I still buy obviously a lot of records and read and listen to a lot of stuff and you know where and it's been there's, there's not never been a time like this in, in my life where I've had so much time to do that other than you know obviously keep on working with my job and like writing things down and writing watching matches and getting ideas and stuff but yeah it's um you've got me at it now with that I, band well I tell I tell people all the time that you're one of the deepest punk heads and hardcore heads, like whatever, all this kind of music heads, like anything that kind of comes out of punk heads I've ever met, like in any sector, like even people that work in record stores, like I am constantly blown away, you know, to the point where I'm not even blown away anymore. Just like every band I like, I send you or reference to you, you just like know them. You're just like, but, oh, do you know what? Do you know, and, and it's, I hate it now because I buy a lot of stuff. Uh, am I allowed to say that I'm, I buy a lot of stuff off uh, Sorry State in um, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, Carolina. Great store, and, uh, and um, La Vida in uh, you know Paco in in London. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, you, you know, know actually, to bring it full circle, Paco's roommate Clint Chapman is the guy that first hit me to your existence as a punk collector. Like he really? was the guy that told me about this wrestler that was like part of like you know British wrestling that had the craziest tape collection in the world. And this is before even I went to all ages records. So it all comes back full circle with it. Yeah. Clint Chapman and Paco were roommates. I, uh, I, I, um, I've been good pals with a guy called Mike Clark who runs inflammable material. Uh huh. Absolutely. And I never had a clue about the tapes and he, he came up and he, I love Japanese punk and it's, it's like a rare treat. Um, when I used to do, we used to actually do Bristol in um, in the eighties, and there's a guy called what was it? Mike Foster, his name was, and he ran MCR Records UK. Oh shit! So, yeah. So we used to, and he he ran he he done like a Maggot Slayer Overdrive and Corpus Vile LP. But that's I'm going into one now. You dig? We're digging deep here. <laughs> um, and he used to bring me like loads of records, and I'd spend my wages easily on records. So fast forward. Um, Mike Clark had this distro, so I used to meet him in Victoria Station, and then we ended up, ended up going up to it. He lives up in um, Notting Hill Gate, and we used to go and used to go to his like he had like a room just full of shelves, and he and he talks with a cigarette in his mouth. So he, he talks all like that, you know what I mean? And he's great. He's a big Chelsea fan, so we talk about football and, and and punk and and all. And he was big into the Anarcho scene. I mean, he he'd be great to get on here because mm-hmm. stories he can tell you about the the, the London Anarch. And he was in a band called Decadent Few. So, anyway, this this would be around about oh four oh five oh six. I got some uh, you know some time like that, and uh, he comes up. Because I said I've got these boxes of tapes in the attic, so he, he used to call me soft lad because it was Liverpool expression for, for your kids or for the younger people. All oh, right, soft lad. <laughs> I like soft lad. So I go, all oh, right, soft lad. And he's the London accent, mate. So he's he, let's have a look at these tapes, and he had like three hundred pounds worth of records from Japan, like all real good stuff, like 
new, you know, like stuff he'd got in on his distro. So I was going, how am I going to work this? It was like, it was like loans of money from the wife. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm, you know, I've got, I've got the right money, but then I've got to, got to pay for this. And so anyway, I get box A, zip it open, like get the knife, cut the tape open. And he's, he's there. And we take it, it was like summer, so we take it in the back garden. So he's got his ciggy and he's like pilfering through these tapes. So he goes, right, right, right. And he gets about 10 tapes out, like punk things that, to be honest with you, I'd given up on playing it. I knew, you know, deep in my heart, it, it meant something because I could say, well, that was sent to me by. And there was a band called, oh, what were they called? Suburban Filth. And he he, he 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 jumped up in like as if he just scored the winner in a World Cup. <laughs> he went, yeah. And it was this tape that, you, you know, you, you have bingo in Canada, don't you? Like prize bingo. Absolutely, yeah. So like if you, you, you win one prize, you get like the one prize sections on the bottom row and you get like five cassettes, compact cassettes they're called. And like this band from near Portsmouth sent me this tape in 1982 and it's probably the worst thing you're ever going to listen to. <laughs> it was just terrible. And, they, and like, I, I, I don't know if it was like Chaotic Disco, you know, like a parody kind of thing. But anyway, I played it I played it a couple of times and people complained that it was like getting like, the, tra- the, the, the transmission was being interfered with like, I don't know, like a, a model aeroplane was going over and interfered because it sounded that bad. <laughs> yeah. I've heard about this tape, but I've never saw it. So I was like, oh, right, okay. So I, I thought, oh. so he gets about eight to ten tapes out, and he goes like that, uh, 300 quid. So I thought, well, anyway, hang on a minute, how much are these records with? So he's, he's gone like that. He's given me the records and give me 300 quid. So I've gone, right. And I, I was like, I was hypnotised for about eight seconds before I went, I'll have plenty of that one. He said, you've got a fortune there. So Mike used to get, get the coach up from London and we'd make a weekend of it and we'd have barbecues and and bevies. And, and um, I mean, he was great for me because at the time it, was, it wasn't it was a good, you know, I wasn't going, going through the best of times with my ex. Like, so it was great to have someone just to laugh and joke and, and whatever else. And it was, and um, so he, he came and pilfered most of the, and, and a lot of them, there was like a lot of stuff getting released on 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 vinyl, which was great, because you know for years this this tape had been in the bottom of a box, and I think someone put it out on a. I actually bought the record. That I, I shouldn't be saying this, but I, was, I bought it. It was like a limited edition of like three hundred, and um, <laughs> and I bought the record. Uh, <laughs> it came full circle on me. Um, I played it once and I went, right, that'll go, that's another 30 years before I hear you again. <laughs> and it's just been one of those mad things. And like violence uprising as well. That was, um, there's that guy in London who demo tapes and whatever. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I had all these like tapes and and when, I, when I'm talking to you or someone that is 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 onto it, it just comes out. I've, I, I've never talked like this with with anyone. You know, like, I kind of, it's it's hard to explain, isn't it? Sometimes to people who listen to REO Speedwagon, you know, how can you, you know, what it is and what it meant here, and and the same sorts of kinds of wrestling passion is different than 
than my punk passion, but it's 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 kind of equal. When I'm when I'm watching a band, I'm I'm in another world. You know, when we watch the Subhumans, I, I never wanted to play a guitar or let to learn it. I never want, you know, if I watch a magician, I don't want to know how he does the, the trick. I just want to watch it and smile and, and for two two minutes, three minutes, whatever the, the song or the trick or the or the Everton attack, hopefully that they once going to win a trophy. But that's another story. <laughs> but again, when I was when I'm wrestling or when I wrestled, I had a, I was in a totally different world. You know, it was another state of mind, and and I, I, I that's what I love about like punk rock is that it, I, I I can go wherever I've been in the world. I've, I've been to shows. And um, sometimes when I was in Germany and I'd go, I'd go on my own to like some squat place and Jawbreaker were playing and I'd just, I'd have a beer and I'd stand at the back and I'd have a little smile on my face going, you know, this is such a great life. I've just wrestled in front of 600 people. I've legged it down. I'm on Hafenstrasse in Hamburg and I'm watching a band from... I guess they're from California, the job right, I think. Yeah. Um, and I'm watching them in like a little room with like 30 other people. And I've got a beer and I'm happy. And I'm just watching that lead singer like jangle his guitar around. It's just, you can't get better than that. You know, if you take me away now. And that was, that. those were in the 90s, those times. So yeah, it's, um, I love sort of watching a band. I never wanted to be in a band. It was never my, I was too busy doing the wrestling thing, but that was, a, and it still is a great getaway when you watch a band. I, I, you know, there's arguments to say that whatever the, the, the music you listen to, it's, it's the same, the same rules apply, but I just found common ground with, and, um, you know, going to see Cox Barra in 94 with uh, Jürgen Goldschmidt or whatever, Jürgen from uh, Bitscore. That was another strange one. There's just me and him with long hair, and there was like eight hundred like men with no hair <laughs> on the on the border of Germany and Holland. So you can imagine what that was like. Oh my god! I could, yeah, telling yeah. the mayor he's going. I'm scared. <laughs> and um, discipline the band, like the sort of Eindhoven naughty band, they were playing, and then Cox Barrett, and they were just I'd, I'd never saw Cox Barrett. You know, they never played Liverpool or anything like that. I, I used to think it was like wishy-washy pop punk, but I was wrong. You know, I, like years later, and I, I watched these these five owl fellas with beer bellies just absolutely take, wipe the floor with all these big, like, tattooed muscle-head boneheads. Like, you know, they just they, all these owl fellas just slay them. It was just incredible to see. I just stood at the back and again, I smiled. You know, it was another form of punk that was, um, and I, I look back at that and I think, yeah, I was there. You know, it was another good, another good time. Like, and, and obviously, I survived because <laughs> some of those, uh, some of those things were, were pretty bad. I suppose when you go back to like late seventies, early eighties, shows were, were very much more risque to go to. Yeah. I think geographically too, like it changes, like you hear, you know, stories about what LA was like at different times, you know, and even like my experience in Liverpool, like the only time I've ever been beaten up at a show was fucking Liverpool. Like Liverpool is a hard ass city. You got done by a scally, didn't you? 
Yeah, I got done by a group of them. The- so there was, there was, there's a couple of more. I don't know if I've told you these. I mean, I I wasn't there, but I've had good good accounts of it. Like not specific accounts, but discharge. We're going to play, and I was I was going to go to the show, but they were in in Liverpool in the daytime, and you know, like this is like the pre-LP discharge. This is like the Y. 12 inch discharge so they've got all their air spiked up and everything else and like loads of like scallies went past and done them in and they said we'll, we'll never play Liverpool again and I, I I don't know I know that I know there's been a few versions of discharge obviously with the guy from the Verrucas and um, the the last LP wasn't that I, I thought it was good actually yeah, I it was good yeah um, but obviously with Calvin and uh, he went to school with Klondike Kate how punk is that <laughs> he went to school with Klondike Calvin. She called him Calvin Morris, and she went, "Yeah." He, and I, I, you have to take it up because I. But we, I, you do realize he's one of the most influential punk rock singers. There's even a thing called D Beat, which is kind of uh, thanks to Discharge because that obviously they, they were from um, different places of Stoke, Stoke on Trent, and uh, Jane was from. She was from Hanley, I think they were. From Hanley and Enoch, she was from, I want to say, is it Longton? I don't, I don't know. Like, um, but like, I had some great conversations because she's he just went to school with her, and I'm going, do you know where he is now? There's mystery <laughs> about him, and they've done this album, and they and, and I was like, like a little five year old, like like five year old with a clipboard, um, and there, there was that incident, and then there was the Cockney Rejects, and they they came and and they were they had like some of the West Ham fraternity with them and there was like a big punch up with them as well but um that was always a kind of you you had to watch out what you were doing you know in in liverpool city so what, what yours wasn't was yours coming out of a show no mine was in the middle of our set at a liverpool wow. sound city festival uh this group of dudes were beating up uh we're just picking on this couple in the crowd and so I jumped off the stage and like kind of with a group of people that were not security, but they're just like, you know, but they also had high vis vests on and were kind of volunteers, I guess. And yeah. like kind of human walling this group of dudes out of the show. And one of them broke around us and just clocked like both people in the couple in the face, just like smacked them. So I speared the dude and, <laughs> and, uh, I'm just like fighting him. And then this guy kicks me in the head and I'm honestly trying to put him in the Kurt angle ankle lock. Like that's the, <laughs> That's the move I'm going to. And, um, I, but I'm pretty sure I would have snapped his ankle. Like it definitely felt that way, but then it was just like pound, pound, pound. I got beaten up by like a bunch of people and then people couldn't break it up. And so it was like, it was like a good solid two minutes of, of just stomping on my head. But luckily I never lost consciousness so I could kind of stay covered. And yeah, like the damage wasn't too, too severe. Definitely. My jaw was pretty fucked up, but I, I got out of it. Okay. Did you complete the set? We finished the set. Yeah. What a what a punk rocker you are, eh? <laughs> it was definitely the best. Was we had this band with us, um, uh, you know, super young kids, super awesome kids, but they were like kind of like rounding out our band, um, and they they just had never seen anything like that, and they were like on stage, like freaking the fuck out, crying. <laughs> Foxy was there. I got to see Foxy and and uh, and hung out with Foxy that night as well and stuff. So I'm, like Foxy's done, you know, he's done really. I'm. It makes you proud when. You know, I say the kids, but like he's a grown, obviously a grown man now and whatnot. Um, and somehow they've kept that that Liverpool scene. They've they put shows on and 
<clears throat> I remember he did that Night of the Living Dead, the skate thing, which I, I took a hell of a kick off some little skater kid one. Oh, proper dumb, right, right in the right in the jaw. Oh, that was a good one. He was a knuckle duster player in the band from London, and there was a big pig pile, and this kid just went hey yeah. And um, do you remember Richard Corbridge, Ronnie Ronnie Corbett, they used to call him, uh, armed with anger records. Yeah. <laughs> so I was protecting his. He's called, please help me protect me, merch. <laughs> so I was helping protect it, and I. I got like kung fu, kung fu kicked in the mush by some little kid, and then I ran after him because he did it. He did it on purpose. I couldn't get you know. I was like me, what me 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 left knee was like done by then, and he, he was going up the ramps because they had like it was a skate skate place with all the ramps and stuff like that. But um, I mean, that it's it's Liverpool can be if you're not ready for it and. It, there's a part of Liverpool I avoid like a plague after probably six o'clock, which would be up Bowl Street and um, Concert Square and all that. It's just it it it's like a young place and and the the fuses are very small, are very very short. And um, I, to be honest, I've it's been I've been back with um, NXT a few times and like uh, with NXT UK. Uh, I'm immensely proud of Liverpool now. I was, I've always been proud of it, you know, growing up there and and um, living there and working out of there. And, and um, the city centre was always grey and green, you know, it was dismal, and it needed a severe lick of paint. And, and it's had that now. And you can take people, and people go, you know, wow, Liverpool's lovely. And you go, well, yeah, and the people are friendly, but. I think after about ten o'clock, especially that part of town can be a bit abrasive and a bit a bit volatile. If you can avoid it, I mean, I know my nephew plays in a band called Psycho Comedy, and I know they play in and around Liverpool, and I'm always worried about him because he's you know he's a, he's a quiet man and all that, and I you know I always kind of worry about him whenever I hear that they're playing Liverpool or Manchester, but. You know, I think that that thing's died down a little bit now. The Manchester Liverpool thing. I think so. I think like um, you know, like Newcastle. Also, I remember going to Newcastle or Glasgow. Like just how fucking wild. Yeah. Like just when you're like you're loading out of your show and you're just like dealing with the people. You're like, like I, I you know, we've played all over the world. Like as in a band, I've been really lucky to do that. And there's few places where you're kind of have to be aware of someone just starting a fight kicking off with a fight as in parts of like you know up up north in in the uk yeah it's well um i think i always find common ground with glasgow you know like there's a good connection between glasgow and liverpool i know it's scotland and whatnot there's there's always like similarities with the football and uh, you know when i was a kid used to be a lot more sectarian thankfully that's died down and um, when I was a kid and stuff like that, I was I, I was a, a Protestant and all my mates were Catholics and it was always a bit hard, especially if you beat them at football. Yeah, and they were all older than me. So I'd get gobbed or kicked or some, or some sort of thing. <laughs> it wasn't endearing to, to me. And uh, anyway, uh, yeah. It's, um, it, it always has like a, if you go to Liverpool and you, you're friendly, it's always a great city. Yes. You know? Yeah. The people have got big hearts, and I, I still want to 
obviously I don't live there. I haven't lived there for a long time, but I love going back. And and you, you never know what's around the corner, do you? I'd never say I would. I'd never live in Liverpool again because you know I know a lot of people there, and and it's it's where I come from, and and uh, just being a wrestler it, it, all my life is is it's never guaranteed anything. So I've had to, I've been like a glorified traveller, really. You know, you, you you've got to go where you've got to go. It's taken me, you know, like like yourself. You you go across. You you got a gig in Buenos Aires. You've got to go to Buenos Aires, and if you've got to live out of Hamburg, Germany, for two years of your life, you've got to live there. And that's part and parcel of the job that you accept and, and you love. But it's how you adapt to that. But Liverpool's always been, you know, it's my first love and the first home, and it's where where I come from, and I'm. I remember, like when I first started going on the road, and it wasn't a good place to, you know, when you went to London and stuff. And when there was trouble, you get booed. If there's anything negative come out of Liverpool, you, and from Liverpool, boo! <laughs> and you're a baby face, and you're trying to make people smile and happy. <laughs> but that, that's a wrestling thing. It's not a punk thing. No, I found the uh, the the. Uh... You know, like you're saying, like I've had some of my best experiences of my life in Liverpool and not to like, you know, obviously like I'm not painting any of these towns by their worst nightlife elements, but yeah. something, something about the designing of the city centers and then like drinks like snake bites and vodka Red Bulls and just, it's just like a, a nasty combination. If, if you, if you like, I never, I couldn't touch like straight liquor or anything like that. I just couldn't do it. You know, when I was, you know, a lager, a lager. Or a bitter, and two of them, and I was happy, you know. And and um, if my dad ever found me, like, and this is like, if I ever came back, he'd go, "Yeah, I'll have one of these," and that would send me over the limit. So liquor would always be the one that I'd, I'd always avoid the top shelf. It was always for more advanced. And I think <laughs> the way the way drinks are designed, you know, they've got the stupid amounts of alcohol in them with like uh, fruit juice or, you know like soda it, t- it tastes more like a soda than it does and yeah it, it, that that doesn't help any anyone especially when they're giving them you know five shots for a fiver or whatever it it, it kind of adds fuel to the fire kind of thing um i when there's places like that i try and avoid it i try and avoid that area that postcode I, I, I don't really um i'm more more of a restaurant person myself these days yeah yeah. Back in the day, you would have probably been one of the, you know, physically more intimidating people in the punk scene. Do you ever have to be like the protectorate kind of vibe or like? A few times, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, um, like I remember there was like, I think the early carnation of Napalm Death and they were playing and they had some of their friends with them from Birmingham. And there was these like skinheads from Liverpool and they were just being horrible. They were just being, they were antagonizing and they were, and this was in the one in Temple Street. I remember this one because this fella kept on coming back for me. <laughs> he stand up, come on. <laughs> so I just, it, um, the guy from Birmingham, I remember like, because it was, Napalm used to do, like, because the drummer used to come out with all them witty little comments going on about like Swedish bands and stuff. So it was in between the song and the, and this fellow went like, you know, the lads from Birmingham just went like, look, you know, I just, I, you know, we're all one scene. And the the he stuck his hand out 
to shake hands and the, the, the Liverpool skinhead spat in his own in his hand and then slapped it and then punched him and they went that'll do and I just I got the fella and I got him by the, the scruff of the neck and I dragged him out up and it was like it was two two flights of stairs and I dragged him out and the my mates used to have this like he was like an old sort of rocker security guard it was dead nice and all that and I think he had a bit of a reputation so he didn't really need to do anything and I just threw this fella down and I, and I went like I'm like, come on then and he was he was he was, come on but he was doing like two steps back two steps back but he, he came back a couple of times but I, I just can't be doing with that you, you're there especially when someone comes from another city I don't want him representing Liverpool mm-hmm. you know that that's not right and so I'd always stand up for that kind of thing. I mean, there's a few. There was a time at, at the at the metal festival in Vakken, and there, were, there was this <clears throat> obviously inebriated and whatever else. But they were, I can't stand a man and a woman. And this fella, it this, well, I was like, ah, let's go. And that was, and, but I just don't like that. You, you're there to watch the bands and enjoy yourself. And and if someone falls down, pick them up. I'm like, I, I can't be doing it. I just don't understand that kind of um, mentality. So um, I never used to tolerate it. I try not to get involved in it now because they might hit me back. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it, it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's it's what's right and whatnot. And, it, and um, um, yeah, it, it, I hate to see bullies. And um, that was, I remember that because the lad was such a nice lad and um, we ended up talking at the, at the in-between sets and he was like grateful and he was he was just a genuinely nice nice kid from Birmingham he was one of he was with the Napalm crew and whatnot I don't I, he might have formed the bat I don't know but um, yeah that but it's happened a few times where you've had to step into things I think if you can step in without actually doing anything I think that's the that's the moral thing and it's the great thing when you can diffuse a situation without have an argy bargy kind of thing. I think that was always a good a good and having that kind of presence where you go, go on then. Um I remember the this is like I put the, the fits from Blackpool, I put them on and they stayed at my mum's house, my mum and dad's house. My mum and dad went through a lot with me. And it was it was it was like a Victorian terrace house in uh, Liverpool four. So I had like three bedrooms, and it, like, but the, the two of the bedrooms were like really small. So after the gig, I took them up to County Road, the Walton Road. There was a kebab shop, so we got kebabs, and there was this local bully, and he used to prey on people. And um, he came in, and the fits were all like dark haired, and they all had like like dark clothes, you know, black jeans and black boots and stuff like that, and really. Nobody dresses like that at all. So we're there at one o'clock in the morning. This fella thinks, oh, yeah, rich pickings. So, um, like, yeah, we weren't, shall we say. And uh, I stood up for them. You know, uh, I just don't, if you if you just dress differently or you're just different, then I don't see the point in trying to harass you. You know, it's never, I, I've never really dressed like a punk. You know, I, I I always wanted to do me hair like um, GBH, Colin Gier was like when the leather bristles twelve inch came out, and uh, I never had, I never had the courage to do it. 
kind of thing, you know. Uh, and, uh, Pete Reynolds, you know, uh, the band, the Flock of Flock of Seagulls. Yeah. Um, there was Paul, Paul, Paul Reynolds. There's two brothers. There was two brothers and a, I mean, three brothers and a sister. But um, Paul Reynolds it is the, the. So he went on. He left school and went straight into Flock of Seagulls. Became huge in North America, where in England they weren't that well known. And he used to come back off a tour, and we'd be playing footy in the streets, and he'd have this like new romantic heads and he'd have like a pink suit on he'd get in the bus into town to go and hang out with his mates and kids used to throw bricks at him and I go what are you doing you should put him on a pedestal and like you know go well done thank you you know you come from this area he goes all over the world and he, he you know he does something different he plays in a band and you know but I I, I, never, I could never understand that yeah um but yeah, again, it's just it's um, having a broad mind about things, I suppose. Uh, one thing that you brought up really uh, way back in the beginning of the conversation was Pete Stahl from Scream. How did you meet Pete Stahl? Um, again, it, I got a package probably 84, maybe. And there was an LP, which was the first Scream LP. And the minor threat seven inch um in my eyes and there was this very detailed letter and he said like you know i'm, I'm in this but i'd never heard the scream because the dc scene i was i was very much catching up by 84 i was heavily into the uk scene and i'd probably got my first maximum rock and roll so i, I kept on having this thing in my head punks in brazil I always, I always remember punks in Brazil, like the Peter K thing with the garlic bread, garlic bread. But um, <laughs> anyway, the uh, we we kept in touch, and then played the records, and then I told him, and and we we, we sent a few letters back, and he used to send me flyers from like the Wilson Centre and the Nine Thirty Club, and that he knew the Bad Brains, and I, like that that was enough for me, like, and then he came over. Um, because like he he was staying with Kent Jolly and all that crew, that Southern Studios crew, and he came to Walthamstow, and this was a infamous night for me because I'd fallen out with my my mentor, had upset him, Rollerball Rocco, and he's had a right go at me, and we travelled down in a, in a car from from the north, and Pete turned up, and I'm I'm expecting this like big punk rocker to turn up. And it's like Donny Osmond. He turned up with like a big leather jacket and a pair of cowboy boots. I've gone, wasn't what I was expecting. But he, like I was in Walthamstow Assembly Hall and he, he, he watched this and he was getting really into it. And and uh, Everton were playing Liverpool. It was 1986, this was. So he was over-organising the European, first ever European tour for Scream. And he said, well, why don't you stay over? I said, well, I haven't got a ticket for the game. Just stay out. He said, we're going, I'm staying in um, Hackney or oh, I think about the place. It's a place near Hackney. And uh, so he blagged me into going back to this place. And I, I, I gave me bag to the promoter and um, and to give it to someone. Else. And on the Sunday, I was wrestling in North Wales. And I thought, well, I'll get back. I'll go to the game tomorrow at Wembley and I'll, I'll see someone from Everton against Liverpool. So, you know, you see someone and go, any chance of a lift after the game? So 
I go back and we we got um have you ever had Carlsberg special brew? No, but I know the beer. Definitely. Don't do it. Don't ever do it to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever do that to yourself. It is it is it should be called Skid Row Brew. It is absolute dynamite. And uh, I remember getting back to this gig and it's just it, it turned like this house into like a, a like a, a floor space. I'm thinking we're going to get busted at any time, and uh, went there with Pete. And then next day, next day we got up and he walked me to. The, we, we ended up going to. He had to get to King's Cross, and um, yeah, and then he went on to Europe, and and then he came over, and that's when he had like the. Um, first of all, he had like uh, what was his? What was the first drummer screen? Uh, I I lose punk points for this. No, I um, I don't remember his name either, but I know exactly who you're talking about. He's, he ends up um, forming his own band called the uh, Suspects, played like a like a street punk thing. So he was there first. I remember hanging out and they had the first HR LP on a cassette, and we were like getting on down to that at someone's house. <clears throat> and then the second tour, um, oh, what's his name, Kent. Ken Stacks, oh, there you go. <laughs> this is like an examination of the back, the back of my mind. That's why I think people like doing this thing is because afterwards they feel like more in touch with parts of their brain they haven't used in a long time. Fulfilled. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next the next time um, I met him and we were at, like and they were doing a sound check and they had a new drummer and like and Planet X was like a, a seller. And it was like always like wet. The floor was always, you know, it was like slate floor. I was stood by the mix, mixing desk with Pete and he went, hey, Rob, what do you think about the new drummer? He's an animal. And it was David Growl. Oh, yeah. So like, and I, obviously you didn't, you know, he was just some aspiring young pup that was coming up. And um, they needed some, that night they needed somewhere to crash and whatnot. And then, um, and they needed washing up, uh, um, they needed the clothes washing. So, um, two of them, I remember it was David Grant. They all came into my music room and uh, we stayed up till about three o'clock until my mum gave us a, gave us our pedigree. <laughs> and he'd tell us all to get to bed. <laughs> but mum, this is Scream. So, and, and, and he stayed, I, I, I know they came back, they, they came back to, to Liverpool to hang out and he stayed a couple of times. But he was always like really nice and, and and knew what he was talking about as well, even at you know a very early age. So it's again, it's nice to you know um, when Pete came back with his his other band Wool. I know that um, at the time Dave's girlfriend was an Italian girl, and she was doing the merchandise, and he was up and running with Nirvana, and um, and they were all like mega happy for him and everything. And then um, <clears throat> Wool done done their thing and whatever, which is, I, I actually like, well, it was more sort of a mainstream scream. And they had like Peter Moffat from Government Issue and Al Block from Concrete Blonde and then the two styles, of course. And then obviously David's gone on to, to you know, huge things. and But he's just one of those people, you know, he, he like you can't help getting big and famous and whatever else, but he always... He's always like down to earth. I mean, I haven't saw him, you know, it's year, decades since I've saw him, and whatever. But I'm happy that I met him at that time and whatnot. And he, I know that Pete does like a lot of road managing, and that that was another point. Um, Cave in from Boston, 
were doing, they'd signed to a major record label and they were in Bristol. And Pete called me up and he said, he said, uh, we've got, can we hang out? They played in Leicester. They played a show in Leicester and I went to see them. And um, does, does your wife, does she like punk? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's such a, a, a that's a double bonus. <laughs> it is definitely. Oh, she likes cannabis and she likes punk. I can't get her into wrestling, but that, I've got two that, out of the three. Two out of three is not bad, is it? You know? Um. By the way, anyone listening to this, I can't condone uh, the, the first the first word that Damien said there. <laughs> no, I don't expect you to, but I'm, it's legal where I'm from, so I know, I know. It's, apparently, it's legal here as well. But anyway, um, probably a hundred percent of the relationships that I've had have hated punk. <laughs> it's like it's like taking uh, like it's the worst thing you could ever do to someone you could i don't know you could do anything but take me here and then heaven forbid you know the band so now you're going to talk about it and not talk to them so i remember the night in leicester i was with my ex-wife and and she was just stood there looking at her shoelaces she was like a post-punk guitarist it was great (laughs) (laughs) no it wasn't great for her but but then the following week i was wrestling at bristol and he said well they're going to be doing this interview at the NME. Can we come and hang out? I went, yeah, sounds. So they've done the interview. So the NME came into the wrestling and, and then like they did, I brought Cave in into the ring with me and we played one of the, one of the songs from the LP. They had the Union Jack. <laughs> it was just bizarre. A band from Boston when bring the Union Jack in. Um, again, it's a, a, another one of those mad, mad things that you, you, you know, like, and it, we actually got in. There's a picture of uh, the only time I ever made the enemy. Uh, they described me with Rob, Robbie Brookside with schoolgirl like hair. <laughs> <laughs> I know they build you up to knock you down, but they didn't knock me. They didn't build me up at all. No, they, they didn't build you. They didn't give you that two years of constant <laughs> ego stroking first. I've never. I've always bought sound, so so. <laughs> you know. Not that, not, not that I ever ever listened to Gary Bush or anything like that, but sounds always had more sort of punk and and they had the so yeah the going back to the original thing, how good is the cassette as a punk format? Oh, absolutely! It was like complete democratization of music, like the fact that anyone could kind of do it once you had access to a tape recorder. Yeah, I, m- I remember reading the thing about Pusshead once and his record collection. He said I I, I used to just record the album and then put it away and forget about it and then play the cassette and like but like I used to trade I'd probably record 20 without a shadow of a doubt 20 C90s every week and like it'd be five I'd do five C90s so all the live tapes and the demo tapes and the rehearsal tapes it was always there was a fella from Italy who was just an professional nuisance because he'd want like he'd want like a tape with like a five minute rehearsal of this so i'd have to root that out and play five minute and then like a, a seven minute like band practice of this and he'd just get like i mean talk about getting your money's worth on one c90 he'd get, a, he'd get about 50 bands on one c90 I'm like, this is not gonna last this is this is a <laughs> the love affair that's not gonna last i can see it yeah, like how much Negazioni is it worth at that point? Uh, yeah, and to clean up. Yeah, to clean uh, exactly. Know? 
I, I, you know what? I, I, I saw them in Copenhagen the first ever time. They played Liverpool. Uh, I used to call them Negaziona. I, I, was, I was always like trying to be sophisticated and then the lead but no, no, Gazzione. <laughs> <laughs> I got me Italians up on that one. Um, and again, it's one of those things where you, you listen to it and, and wretched. How good yeah. were they? They were just Gian Mario. Um, so what were you doing in Copenhagen? Were you wrestling? No, no, I had a, I had a girlfriend, and then we had a, um, so with the guy, guy I, we had this thing about a record shop, which I don't really want to go into now because it, <laughs> it was ill-fated. Okay. Um, so I, I, I kind of, thanks to Maximum Rock and Roll, I got, I had all these plans and whatever. But me, a friend of mine became a really good friend called Anders Nielsen, who run Boston Tea Party Records. Oh yeah. And he was heavily connected with the Ungdom Susat. So, again, my girlfriend, she was into, like, Brian Adams and Kajagugu. So I took <laughs> it. I made – so BGK were playing this night. And then there was a band, like an anarchist band from, from Wales who had never heard of, and, like, a, a free cinema. Because do you ever go there, the, the original Ungdom Susat? I don't think we ever played there. We've only been in uh, Copenhagen. Oh, maybe we did. Is, is that – no, I don't think we did the original one though. There, there was like a load of protests and what. It was like it's like an old warehouse on a main road going into open in the. I can never I can never say it. You have to like you have to get punched in, in your apple. And, no, no disrespect to Jane, you know, it's a hell of a language. Um, and so I built this up for like a week. I've gone look, being invited. Um, his girlfriend was Bibby at the time from Electric Deads. Oh yeah. So like, so we anyway, right? We're gonna go. So she lived in a place called Bronby Strand. So we get the train. We get over. Oh, it was like we were that young. I think her mum and dad dropped us off. <laughs> <laughs> Hold me coat. Um, and we go. So we go in. There's like these big iron doors. And the steps leading into the first floors where the concert hall is, and we put our first foot on the stone steps, and these two spiky head, drunken out the schools punks, came like got hold of each other and came rolling down the down the stairs at our feet, and she just she spoke really good English, and she went, safe place, huh? And I went, I can explain. <laughs> <laughs> Go up and they had like a balcony bit. It was really well. I mean, it was one of them European places that, you know, so well run by the people. There was like a collective that look after it and stuff. And I got to interview BGK. And um, I've done a lot of stuff, like radio stuff from over there. And um, then befriended, like, the, the Aarhus crew, which was like War of Destruction. There was a guy called Steen, who I saw on some New York thing, um and I tried to get them a deal. They sent, like, Probe, some distribution thing that went a bit Pete Tong because I am not, I wasn't into the thing. And all. Anyway, that was that's another story kind of thing. Um, but we went to the... They used to have, like, a festival called the Monazi Festival. Um, and it was... There was a fella called Johnny... Con Do you ever remember him? Johnny Concrete. You ever heard that name? No, no, I'm trying to think of who that is. Sorry. He was in a band called the Dream Police. Oh, no, Dream like, Police. Yeah, the Danish ones. That are yeah. So he was the lead singer, and um, he had this seven-inch, and he sent me, 
and I ended up like throwing them out. I could kick myself now because you get too grand for them. One of those ones, you go, no! You wake up screaming. But um, I went there for a couple of days and um, Anders came up. We got the train, uh, we got the, the ferry up. Uh, and I guess my girlfriend came up, or my ex-girlfriend, and it, it wasn't good. She hated it, you know, because the European punks were, were pretty pretty mad. and um, Well, they weren't mad to me, but to the outside world, if you into Brian Adams, I suppose it is a bit mad. So, but yeah, the 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 Danish team was was there was some really good bands. There was obviously War of Destruction. There was a band called V, spelt V I, and they were they were like really really good. And um, the Razor Blades from Udense, that's another. See, I, I know me Danish. <laughs> you definitely know your Danish better than I do. Um, uh, it's. Uh, also, like the one you know, I've talked to you forever, and I guess at some point, would you come back for a part, uh, part three? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, again, it's just it flow, it flows over too quick because you're talking about, you know, you forget when you're fifty-four, you forget like the things and the, a lot of the places you've been, and this kind of helps me. I come off and I go, oh, it had a fairly hectic life here, you know, yeah. like. You, I think um, <clears throat> I remember going to shows and stuff like that. It's um, it's kind of it was always difficult. I remember I remember bring, putting tapes on, and um, I was trying to explain to like the Rollerball Rocco's and the, the Tony St. Clairs and the uh, Rocco was always quite he, he like Tom Petty for example, and so he'd always listen to it and. Um, I put the tape on the promoter. He let it. He let it go for about thirty seconds, and then throw the tape out the window on the, on the motorway. I, I was so distraught because I was trying to like teach them my ways and stuff like that. And um, yeah, but it, it never stopped me from. Um, it never stopped me from when I get to a venue. I'd put me put me stuff in the dressing room, and then I'd leg it out, and I'd, I'd say we got there for like five o'clock. I'd leg it out and try and find a record shop and try and like bury myself under under a cabinet and pick a box of seven inches out and get some I don't know like the the shit liquor seven inch and go yes and not tell anyone because you know if at that time in my career and when I was younger and whatnot you had to go through the uh, the apprenticeship so if they saw you like something they they try and take it away from you or try and you know yeah. Yeah, you know, it was a it was a, a tough time, but yeah, I used to love like going to record shops and or if we were staying over in a place and you had the chance to, you know, to hook up with like because obviously we used to write. I said that yesterday. Just um, in the olden days, we used to get like a piece of paper and a stamp and a thing called an envelope, and we used to like write our feelings down on paper. <laughs> yeah, but I used to love doing that, and um, I used to hate it when they. And the punks used to put soap on the stamps because my dad worked for the post office. So if he saw it, he'd go mad. <laughs> oh, put that in the bin. <laughs> Bloody punks. They're not staying here again. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, but how long, how long have we done this for now? We, we've done an hour and a half so far. But like, and there's like a couple more things I just wanted to quickly talk to you about. Is that cool or do you got to go? Yeah. Oh, no, please. Um, one, like the one thing that you kind of just brought up there is like, and you know, I've had you know, by no means a direct involvement in wrestling since we spoke, but I've been around it a lot more making the TV show and stuff. Um, 
And I, and I really noticed like they're very similar to the cultures, but they're also really different. You kind of alluded to with the apprenticeship where like wrestling's almost like trying to keep you out. Whereas punk is all about trying to bring you in, you know, like I noticed that's like the real difference I found between the two cultures. I, th I think, I think now it is, but I think there was yeah. a state and you, you know, when you, if you go back to the early maximum rock and rolls and you read like the scene report, not the scene reports, but like, the uh, the columns and stuff. I remember there being like issues with age and and um, obviously there was over here. Um, there's like playing twenty one and over bars. So there's certain bands who would sing about the youth and all that, but they wouldn't play in like where the youth could watch it. So there's always been. I think back then there was always a kind of similarity with with. Um, and I remember like just going to gigs and. Um, being young and not being taken serious. Not that I was going around with a, uh, you know, a, a soap board on a, you know, a, sorry, a sandwich board. Um, it was a case of wanting to talk and wanting to, to educate myself. And if someone went to see the Sex Pistols in Manchester, I'd love to talk about it. And, or if there's a band that I should, I might be missing and I should be listening to. I was always open, you know, because there was that many bands then, you know, that I wanted to explore. And is this a good record? Is it worth shelling five pounds of my money on that I can barely afford anyway? If there was someone there to educate me, and there was a lot of people, um, I think I, I guess I was lucky. I was taken on board by all the probe probe crew. You know, when I when I was at school, I used to save me dinner money and got and. Um, and starve myself, and at the end of the week, I'd, I'd shoot down and on the Friday dinner break to Liverpool and, and go and get a loads of crass records, you know, like uh, or like pay no more than fill in the gap records, and all the old they were all like sort of older university kind of beans kind of people that worked in pro. Mm -hmm. They all had like you know they were all like educated and like knew what they were talking about and whatnot. And I'd go in in a school uniform and go, have you got no smell by a flux of pink Indians? I remember Pete, Pete Burns fell on the floor laughing his head off. <laughs> um, no, that was uh, I Hate People by the Antino early. Um, but, you know, it's that kind of... The, the, wrestling, the wrestling world was a hell of a lot different um, than what it certainly... And, and, and thankfully, thankfully, thankfully so, because... It was it was it was like living living in Mars compared to living on in in on Earth. They were all sort of old fellas that just saw you as a as a threat, and and like you know if you took if if they were sat at home and you were you were yeah, a show and they found out they they were they they never came up and said oh well done, you know it was okay it's on next time you're on with them they'd do something. Or they do something. You know, I don't really want to. It's not. This is not the stage to to talk about that kind of thing. Because um, and like whenever, whenever the punk thing came up, the put downs I got. I mean, it didn't last five minutes either. You know, they they just like punk and and obviously you got Sid Vicious and Johnny Rotten thrown back at you. And I'm going, no, it's not like that now. You know. <laughs> You know, Jello Biafra? No, you don't. Okay, let's let's. No, no. no. Um, so there was that kind of, and you you had to answer to everything that punk 
throughout the media kind of thing. And it was it, it was hard enough keeping you keeping your head above the water in a wrestling world, you know, the wrestling kinds of topics and 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 trying to improve yourself when no one would help you. That was always that was always a bit difficult. But I look at it now, Damien, that that I, I'm immensely lucky to come through that. I don't look back and go, you know, why did the 35-year-old fella, like, beat me up in the ring? I was 16. You know, you could probably take him to court on child cruelty or something like that. I don't, I don't know. But I don't look back in anger because that was what, that that's the way it was then. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, in the wrestling business, you know, people speculate about, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff online now and whatever else, but it's, it's so much easier now. And it's so, it it makes me laugh when someone's had a pair of boots or a pair of kick pads for two years and, and says something, oh, you know, these the kids now, and they go, oh, no, no, shh, shh. don't say it. Don't, you know, but I, I don't, obviously my daughter's involved and, in, you know, she wrestles for NXT UK in, in England and, you know, she, she fights her own, her own battle. You know, I don't do nothing to, you know, and she has to do that. That's the way, you know, she's not going to get any get out of jail card from me. If, if she does something good, well, well done, do it again. If she does something bad, you know, I'm not going to go, oh, well, she's me, daughter. You know, she has to, and, and, and her, her thing is Avril Lavigne and Green Day. So, you know, um, she kind of, listens to punk a little bit like but just looks at me all funny like as if to say are you still listening to this <laughs> at your age but were it, you at that famous green day easter gig in liverpool right wasn't it like in liverpool the they did some like easter pageant show or maybe it was like an activity no, scene no, show it, it was a christmas one i was at that that's yeah. it yeah that's it uh, it was um yeah it was a strange one i was going what are these doing <laughs> I mean, mates are going. Oh, these are just this is just American bullshit. This, <laughs> and and it was that it was the guy from Wigan, wasn't it? Alan from First Strike. He put he was quite. He put a lot of shows on and whatever else. Yeah. And I went to the second Wigan show as well, and I went. There was a fella, and I thought that's Lawrence Livermore. And I went up to him, and he's reading a book. <laughs> well, it's got to be. I went. Are you Larry Livermore? He went. Yeah. I went. I went like, to meet you. And I'm like, yeah, so I thought it was Sherlock Holmes of the punk world. <laughs> um, just, yeah. Um, but I, I, I used to talk to Green. I used to, like, correspond with the, the bass player. And um, this is before, obviously, they, they, you know, they became MTV darlings and whatever else. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they certainly knew how to write a, a, a good song. But going back to the, you know, I think, I think now it's a lot better for the way, you know, certainly in the punk scene, I'm, I'm sure there's negative. There's always got to be negatives, but I always believe that there's got to be, for every one negative, there's three positives. And if you haven't got that, then, you know, then I'm wrong. But um, I think it was quite elitist, um, the, early, the early punk scenes. It was a lot older. You know, if you... 18s and up, and you trying to knock on the door of like, if you were 14, it was always hard. But there were people, there were there were a few people. It was nice. There was always a guy who, who ran a fanzine in Liverpool called Neil Tilly, 
and he always and this was like a Liverpool scene thing, but he used to interview like Public Disgrace, and there was what was that other band? There was another band. Oh, what was their names? They never actually oh, Toxic that, something or no, no, that, that was they they Public Disgrace. Oh, that's Public Disgrace. Sorry, yeah. No, they were called Dash Reiner. Okay. And they they never ever put out. And then there was like Blitzkrieg and Mayhem from Southport. They were Mayhem. Were, have you got the? Have you got any of their? Records? I got I got the first forty five and maybe the second one with the one with the kind of a purplish kind of motif in it. I think it's, it's the uh, second one. Yeah, the the, the uh, pulling pu- puppet strings is the second one. Gentle Murders, the first one, and they're they're another like UK untouched gem. No one talks about them or anything like that. And I saw them support the Dead Kennedys and the lead singer. I think his name was Mick. And he was all over. He, he, he held Jell-O's Jell-O that night. <laughs> the Royal Court. And they were they were brilliant. And then Blitzkrieg put a seven-inch out on No Future. <clears throat> um, I love that Blitzkrieg seven-inch. The uh, the Future Must Be Ours. Yeah. They they sent me a tape and I think it was one of the ones that Mike went berserk about. It was like an unreleased demo, and it, it, it they they made the tape out of a piece of cardboard <laughs> <laughs> and like graffiti all over it. Well, that was that was great. Um, yeah, I mean the the Liverpool. I think I think scenes like I don't think Manchester had that many good punk bands at that time. I think it was. A lot of it was like London, uh, and like the middle. Like for some reason, like Birmingham had had a lot of good punk. Like obviously GBH and Dead Wretched and the Verrucas. Well, it's not Birmingham, but like you know the Midlands area and, and whatnot. Um, Bristol and too, I guess, had a huge scene. Bristol, yeah, like that that flyer that you sent. Yeah, um, but they had like other bands like Court Martial. If, if you say it in a Bristol accent, it sounds hilarious. I won't do it now. I'll, I'll, um, that's another one for, for my girlfriend to, to recite later. Next time I go on the road, I'm going to definitely, next time we play Bristol, have to get someone to say court martial on that to me. Yeah, oh, that, that's that's because it's got loads of R's in it. So they're going to, you know, uh, like Bristol's a great, and Bristol's a very punk rock town. Oh, definitely. You know, and um, oh, I always love wrestling there. And um, I, I always, I, I went to gigs always outside. I went to gigs in Bath for some reason. Oh, they, they always seem to put I've, I've put gigs on there. I, uh, I, you know, I played Bath too one time, but I think they also didn't. Wasn't there like a label base out of there, or some band was from there? There was like a couple. There was, I think Maggot Slayer Overdrive, and I know Mike Mike Foster lived there. Okay. He, he um. Do you, so as, I'm gonna ask you a question now. Are you aware of the band High Technology Suicide? No, you stumped me but, with that one. Right, I've actually got the. I've got a a flag here. So I'd never heard of them, right? And Mike had gone, he used to go, his, um, he married a Japanese girl. I don't know, I don't know if he, I, I haven't heard from him in years. So he brings me this video back. He went, yeah, I'll get a load of this. He said, give us 30 quid for these CDs. He said, the word that you can't get them. So he gave me like four CDs, which was, was a good, you know, like CDs were the new thing. So, you know, yeah. they, they a price and they were like these wonderfully produced covers you know that whoever did it so the, the immediate thing that I, I got on i put this video on 
and there's this fella called Crazy SKB, and he had this band called High Technology Suicide. So they were a bit, a bit like the same sort of sound as Melt Banana, but they okay. were So they had that like da na 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 da na 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 da 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 and so the the whole stage is set up with barbed wire and and flamethrowers or like flames. The next thing, Matsunaga and Mr. Pogo from Wing yes. and start beating him up, <laughs> throwing him off. And like, it's just chaos. Absolute murders going on on stage. He's wrapped up in a load of, I'm going, and I've never heard of the, you know, I'm going, who's, who's this, who's this big guy in a pair of jeans and a, like a baseball bat with barbed wire. So the next thing, all the fire, fire extinguishers go off. So there's all smoke and everyone, and the, the, it pans back out outside. It's like one of them like clubs in Japan where you go downstairs and everyone's coming out going, <coughs> all the crowds have come out. And then next thing, this ambulance, it's like a Gigi Allen in, in, in Japan. Yeah. And the next thing, this ambulance comes and they carry this crazy SKB out to the, to the hospital. The, the plot thickens. His mother and father have got the biggest Buddhist temple or one of the biggest Buddhist temples in Tokyo. So he's back he goes back home and he's meditating or, or, and he gets up and got um, and he, he looked like Pinhead from the horror, you know, Hellraiser. Yeah. Just bizarre. And I, again, I, I don't really hear the net. And I lent this video to one of my mates in Germany, never got it back. Oh my God. I got to look this up now. Have you ever seen the Gizem video where Sakevi takes the flamethrower to the audience? Oh yeah. <laughs> this, this is similar. He's got like a, a grinder. So he's grinding all this stuff. There's a couple of, couple of different shows. But it, it's like it, it, it's like the the King Kurt thing in Liverpool, isn't it? Where they, you know, they they got they got beat up bad in Liverpool by the bouncers because they they had, they had all the food they used to throw the sides of thing, and then they went, "What's a Scotch have for breakfast?" For breakfast, and they had like big buckets of porridge, and um, one of the bounce there was a bouncer visiting his mate, and his girlfriend was in the stuff, and she got porridge or cider over. Her. And then they called, the, and like all these big meatheads came up after the show, and King Curtis loading the stuff out, and um, like that. I don't the guitarist like got put like badly put into hospital, but it's one of those ones where you go, oh, it's got to just stands at the back here a little bit, you know, because you, you don't know what you're going to get in the front because it could be a bit risque, like yeah. But um, high technology suicide. I've got, I've still got the t- CDs here. And they're like the the artwork is just incredible. It's it it's beyond what they do. It's it's like it, it, it's all like sort of ancient Japanese images and stuff. But um, I've I've actually I can see that when all my stuff came over from England, I was looking for certain things and the, just this heads. It's like a, a like a, a, a it's like a ten inch record, but it's a it's a scarf or like, a, you know, like a, what do they call them? A, a bandana or something like that. And it's got him on. It's like, like a cartoon version of this fella. I think, he, I think he's done a match for wing. That's awesome. I got to find that fucking that match. I'm, I'm, I'm really getting into this, the Japanese, uh, punk hardcore kind of wrestling connection. Like, you know, there's just like Kojima's brother. Did you ever wrestle Kojima? Yeah. 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 I mean, so, um, he went to Germany and then came to England. And um, what did he wrestle as in England? 
I think he just wrestled as Kojima. Because um, he had a different name in uh, catch wrestling, right? Jojo Lee. Yeah, Jojo Lee. That's Jojo it. Lee in, in Germany and Austria. But he came to England and he was in England for like probably a good four to five months. So like that was the great thing about all the New Japan guys coming over. You know, you had like originally Yamada came over and then Yamada and uh, Funaki, who was went to do um, Pancras. So he was like, he was double dangerous. He used to do, he used to put us all to sleep in the dressing room. He had, he had like a two finger thing by your, your apple. So he put us all, he put us, he put us all out one night. And he, there was a, there was a, um, the MC was a fellow called John Harris. It was like, it was like James, he had like a James Bond kind of hurler there. He was a brilliant MC. And John was in his late sixties and he put John out in his, <laughs> Oh, he came out and everybody thought he killed Captain. <laughs> the poster came in and said, "Oh, this is great. We'll get six fans, put them in chairs, and put them out every night." <laughs> not, not thinking of like a law, a lawsuit or anything like that. But he was, he was, uh, he was a smashing lad, Fanaki, like really dangerous. And then, like um, the other um, Akira Nagami came over, Izuka, um, O'Hara. And then I think it was Kojima. And it, we used to always talk, like his brothers in a punk band and whatnot. Yeah, Tetsuarai. Yeah. Um, but I never met the, like I went over and, and whatnot. I went to, I went to, on the first, first time in Japan, I went to see Sick of It All and Coco Bat. And I took, um, what's his name? Uh, what, was, what was the referee's name? Tayama was the referee. And um, Sick of It All Pit was like, it was like 50 by 50 <laughs> and put him in the middle of it. it took him about 15 minutes to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> he had no collar left on his new Japan shirt. Or anything like. um, yeah. I mean, Japan's just great, isn't it? For, you oh. know, the, the music and it's, it's kind of like, it's so underground and it's so, it, it kind of looks after itself. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how they do it. Like, cause they, they kind of say, well, if you want our records, Come and get them, you know. It, yeah. I know there's there's like the guy who runs Feral Ward, and and there's there's like people over in the states that like kinds of like issue them over here, like. But um, I I went through my Japanese stuff a couple of months ago. I'm going. I forgot I had this, and it, like I've got two boxes, uh, so I've probably got about four hundred and fifty, four hundred and seventy-seven inches. Just from Japan, and then, and then like the compilation, seven inches they put out. Like, and there's just bands that you've they've just done like a demo, and they put two songs on this compilation. It's just, and it's 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 its own identity, the Japanese stuff. Yeah, and there's so much of it too, right? Like Coco Bat, you know, obviously is a punk band, but it has no connection whatsoever to like kind of the more melt banana scene, which has no connection to like. Tetsuarai yeah. scene, like it's there's just so many pockets of punk. Yeah, definitely. I, I went, I went up to uh, Kendo Kashin's up from up in Hokkaido, and the Sapporo scene's just so different than the it, it's like it's like another country. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was that label called Straight Up Records, mm-hmm. and I went in there and I could have just spent all the money I had in the world. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to leave. <laughs> and there was Boy Records in in um, Tokyo. Yeah, which 
which was in a bit of a dodgy part of Tokyo, like as regards the, the other businesses that were there. And it was just on the on the, on the first floor of this, uh, and above there was like things going on and whatnot. And this was like twelve o'clock in the day, but again I could have just there was a, I think she was an American girl called Erica, who used to run that place with a Japanese husband, and I, there was just so much stuff, and I didn't have I, like I didn't have a checkbook then. Thank, thankfully, yeah, because I have a checkbook now. If they if they've had a checkbook there, it just would have been. But yeah, and again you. You're lucky, aren't you? I mean, you've been to Japan loads of times, just to go there and and see the culture and 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 have punks, you know, meet meet up with punks. But it's not the schedules that you had with the with the companies in in Japan. I mean, you could do, you could, you, but like just trying to have contact with it and, and finding contact was was always difficult. Yeah, I know Mike Foster, um, not Mike, yeah, Mike Foster. Um, having him on my side because he he knew a lot of people doing the MCR. Was was MC? Is that from Kyoto? MCR. I, I'm trying to remember now. I I I don't know actually. My Japan box is a little far away, so I can't even cheat. Actually, maybe I have a flexi beside me because I've got a bunch of my Japanese flexis. Best Run Fast. That was a compilation. Oh, great. Yeah, absolutely. The best Run Fast. They did like a couple volumes of it too, right? Like yeah, they done like a hard hard vinyl version as well. Yeah, that was uh MCR also. Uh, um, put out like um, the SDS stuff too, which I fucking love. Society Death Slaughter, yeah. yeah. So that they, someone, where was that from? Because someone put out a kind of the the B side to the Misery Split, and it was an unreleased. But the pressing, I don't know what how they pressed it, but they must have pressed it in like like underground because it's like so <laughs> so lo-fi and. It, yeah. it, you got it. I've got like a little. My record player is like a little cheesy thing, um, so that's one of me must must do is get a decent record player. Um, but but I've got all the other stuff of SDS. I mean, they were the they were the illegitimate sons of anti sect in Japan, weren't they? Like they were yeah. so. They were. Uh, do you ever see anti sect? No, I never got to see anti sect. I think they've done reunions too, but I, I didn't get to see any of those. Not like. Um, the kind of eighty four stuff of anti sect that, but also like the when they came back and they were, they were cultural at one stage, who were anti sect with a different name, um K with uh, with cultural with a K, and they they play planet like again it's just one of those things that we we took for granted, and I remember like tape traders and saying oh you know, you get to see carcass every if I never see carcass again it would be a because like. <laughs> We were we were friends and stuff, so they, it weren't like I wanted to see Massacre and uh, Nocturnus and all that Tampa stuff, you know, Massacre with me, my big death metal band. But like Carcass was just Jeff and Bill and Ken, you know, like <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll meet you in Probe at twelve, <laughs> you know, like. Um, but you you kind of get used to like the the, the local bands, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's funny actually. You brought up Coco Bad earlier. Uh, they do the theme song for uh, Jun Kasai, the the deathmatch wrestler in Japan. Wow! Yeah, they, I mean, was that like an old old song or was that? I I don't that... even know. Like I think it's like a fairly recent ish. Well, like I think it's an older song now type thing. But I think it was like a song they gave to him, maybe even. They were on that label. Toy is it Toys Records or SOB Toy Factory or Toy? Yeah, Toy Factory. They had a record out because. 
I was in one of them mad shops that they do all the anime things, which I'm, it's of absolutely no interest to me. Yeah. It was like 90,000 CDs that you would, no wonder my eyesight's gone now because of, <laughs> and my knees have gone years of like taking bumps and bending over and looking for, and I remember getting a, like for a dollar or whatever the, the yen was for a dollar, I got like a cocoa bat and a, um, something, it was something like another. High standard maybe? Not high stand. Um, what was it? And it was another. Um, oh, high standard were Japanese as well, weren't they? Yeah, they and they they were like they became huge. Like they were almost like you know the Green Day of Japan at, at a Fat certain rec, point. Yeah, but they, they also like, had a record on HG Fact. Oh wow! Oh bro! I mean, no, it was something on. What was that other? What was the? Oh, you, you, now you are. Yeah, <laughs> you hurt me now. It was Devour Records? Is that when? Dude, yeah. Devour's yeah, Devour was the label that also had a Boston office, and they put out the Discord and Ax- Saxis record. They put out the uh, Blood for Blood seven inch, and then they did um, a bunch of killer Japanese records as well. There was so there was I think it might have been the Discord and Axis. It was like a a sort of collective CD. How can I remember that? <laughs> you bring out the worst in me. This is the best, Robbie. This is like. <laughs> That's the thing is, you would have had a jam-packed life if it was just the punk stuff. But then there's also the fact that you're like, you know, a wrestling legend as well that you're also doing as well as being into all this cool-ass punk stuff. Uh, I, you know, that word legend is 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 a terrible word, you know, like, because I used to always, like, one of my, like, sort of uncles, if you want to call him that, was a fellow called Count Bartelli. By the time... By the time I came in the job and I was watching him and stuff, he was like in his sixties. Just to step in the ring when you when you're sixty five is is a feat in itself. But to keep on going and whatnot, mm-hmm. and they used to put legendary star of two thousand victories, and that always stuck in my mind. And I look back at him now and I think, you know, when someone passes away, which is always a bad bad time. To me, what he went through in his life and how he did it, and um, when you read his book. He was, uh, he wrestled like all these like super crazy fit mad Indian warriors, like in in between the wars and stuff like that. And he was just such a pioneer. And like to me, that's you know, I'm just someone who's who came in the job and stuck at it and managed to to forge a way through. And there's there's nothing like I. I kind of don't I don't take to that like that weird legendary kind of thing because it's I've been lucky I've been lucky for what I've done really honestly you know to to have had to be into the places and just having this conversation now of like talking about demo tapes when you're 12 you know and and being around the world and going to gigs in in Tokyo or Bremen or I don't know Grenoble or something you know like some of the mad places that you you go to and stuff and and to still be to still have it in the next room and to still be looking around the room now and seeing like old posters from liverpool stadium and um chromags and scream and bad brains frame pictures and stuff like that i'm very lucky there's nothing there's not a legendary about me it's just um it's just i'm a, a lad who Came in the wrestling business and wanted to make it a little bit better. That's all, you know. That's that's about the the, the strength of it. Do you know anything about Wurzel Gummidge? 
No. I think you should do some, because um, there was a whole space of English punk called, yeah, notably by uh, the band from Norwich called Deviated Instinct. Oh, no, Deviated Instinct, definitely. Right. So they were big gummage, and my mate Peck was, so it's a, it's a children's character. It's all on YouTube, and he's um, he's a scarecrow, but he comes to life. But there was like a punk scene that, that, <laughs> that based itself on where's which I I I was totally into. I I bought everything that there was. Deviated Instinct used to send me the, the demo tapes for the for the pirate thing. So there was a guy called Mid, who I, who I can remember. But um, yeah, I've got a Wesel Gummidge. Um, it's a like a, a coin collector, you know, like a, a piggy bank. I've got his head, and I just it just took me back to a bit of de- deviated instinct there. And there was a, there was another thing called muck muck spreader or something like that. Just, just absolutely crazy. Oh, my dream, Robbie, is when this is all over to come down and and get a chance to just dig into this record collection. <laughs> it, it'd be great, mate. Um, I know that. Uh, well, you don't know when it when it first came from England. It took a couple of months to get it. It was obviously it came over by ship, <clears throat> and I hated myself. There was 125 like big boxes that you had to open up, and then there was all the the different boxes of records. And I've got a big football program collection, and I've got like loads of wrestling artifacts. And I'm going, what have I done with my life? You know, like <laughs> why couldn't I've just like sold this and moved on? I I always remember because um, I was like. I was, you know, going from pillar to post in England and all that. And I always remember William Regal when we were kids in the car going, just sell your record collection, buy buy yourself a house. <laughs> I should have listened to him back then. Two years older than him and he was like 25 years more wiser than me. But I, I always remember, we, we laugh about that. Like, um, it's, but it's part of my life, you know. Like when you look at what a, a collection I've got, and oh, because I, that would, if you got rid of it, you would be looking back now, being trying to rebuy that stuff. Because like you can't ever replace those things. Those are like, you know, magical keys to memories. Yeah, they are. And and the the sad thing is that I've got them all boxed off because I never know in in wrestling. You know, I've, I, I I pinch myself every day. I really do. I pinch myself. You know that I've been lucky, and I've worked with. So many great, but I'm still the the job I've got now. I just you know I, I couldn't I couldn't have written it if I could have wrote myself into a job. I couldn't have written myself into a job. And I've been and when you look at you know the people you've worked with and and you, my job is to try and make the job as as best as I can at, at the level that I'm I'm teaching and, and and whatever you know like it's it's just such a wonderful thing and um. I got nothing but the last seven years of my life. Although, you know, back back in England, you know, my family have, you know, I've been losing members of my family and stuff like that. It's, um, and and I never thought I'd live on my own. But to have had this, the last seven years, it's I've been immensely lucky and I, I pinch myself every day. And um, it's, yeah, it, it's just been the, the best like seven years without and I've never wanted to to put a pair of boots on and before I came here I hadn't 
I thought I was going to wrestle again because I was only going to come for six months. And um, just to have had, had this and to, to pass on, you know, anything and everything you know to help someone a little bit better is, is you know, I'm working with working with uh, William Regal. Obviously, he's my me, me best friend. I'm working with him again and and having this, and we've got, like, such a great team here to, to work with all that. And and to come home and play punk rock at night is, uh, I, I've got to get a, I've got to get a cassette player. I need because uh, I've got like st- I've still got a few tapes left. There was a load of tapes that got left in Leicester, which I think are still in the attic. And if anyone in Leicester's hearing this now, you can go around and oh no, 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 <laughs> definitely not. Please. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I want to hear these tapes. Do you have any tapes of these old interviews that you did? Um, they'll all be in Leicester. Man, if you can get those things. Um, also, yeah, my dad yeah. went to Leicester College of Art, too. Um, oh, did he? Yeah. What, what year would that have been? 1960 or 70-something, 70 71, 72. I saw the Dead Kennedys and MDC play at uh, Leicester Polytechnic, 1982. I think it would have been long gone by then. I would have been, I was in the picture by that point, so I don't think he was going to any, many shows. He did go to punk shows early on, though. Um, like the, what the, the sorts of uh, Vile Tones and like Teenage Head and like all the Canadian bands. Oh, so in in Canada, like yeah, he had moved over. I guess he moved over kind of mid seventies, and uh, but like you know when it was happening, it was you know obviously this energy that I think if you were anyway tapped into cool stuff, you were going to want to check out. That's I mean they were the they were the gigs that because they were so revolutionary and when you went to one of those gigs it was it was risque you know I, I think I told you about the clash when I was a kid when I was 12 going to the matinee show I thought it was the end of my life yeah. <laughs> I, I'd never I, I thought a, a hole had opened up up in the street and these people had come from from, from underneath I never saw people like this in my life and I thought it was definitely going to because growing up in, in Liverpool Ford you know you saw like three fights every day you know you walk along you go to football practice and there'd be like a, a, a pub fight, street fight or whatever else. Or you, you walked on, across someone else's street. Who are you looking at, mate? And it was, you know, it was off. So I'd, I'd, been, I'd been aware of uh, street violence all my life, but there was just this this feeling. And then when the band played, I forget who supported them. I can't remember. that. That's what, one of the things that, that does me head in. Um, but like the, I think the clash started at like four o'clock or something like that. They came on, and um, I thought, well, this is the end. Twelve. <laughs> I've come to the end of the road here, like because nothing's ever gonna, you know. And it, in it, not in a way, but like that was, you know, it's like your first cup of coffee in the morning. That's the best cup of coffee, isn't it? That one that you know gives you that little little thing. Um, like that was a magical moment, and but there's. You know, thousands. You know, seeing discharge in, on my birthday in '83 in, in in the hometown with GBH and Antisec. That was that was pretty. That was up there, like, um, yeah. I'm babbling. I'm babbling on. And I spoke about wrestling. You have to cut that one out. Okay. <laughs> no, Robbie. Anytime you want to come back on the show, you're always welcome. Well, I, you know, I, I I love being invited back, and and I don't do podcasts. I've done 
this is obviously the second or the second and a bit with you and I can talk as as you can as you can gather I can talk about punk all day long um and I've done Chris Jericho's one and I've done one with uh, William Regal so it's a it's kind of a rare venture for me but I've always got time for you know obviously yourself and 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 this podcast which you know I I listen to and uh, um and like the likes of the Tony Herber one, which was great because you know, I don't think he gets enough mentions. And, uh, you know, um, and I, I never got to see any of that that stuff, um, the Gordon Soley stuff. And, and even face, I played the first Face Value album the other day. I just, I got, the, I got this, I went, US Hardcore, let's have a look. And I've got the, the, two, the two first Face Value albums. And I remember it, I thought it was cutting edge. But it, it it was still all right. It wasn't, it, it you know the produ- the production obviously is not, you know like to, to what like that kinds of hardcore. But it was more hardcore than metal. But um, but it, like I was, you know I was bopping away to it in my own little way. It was uh, I've got some friends from Cleveland, some colleagues, and we always go on about Peabody's. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think uh, I think the H one hundreds to me are like the perfect punk band. Like that, those records are like dismantle. Yeah. B side first to me is like my probably my favorite seven inch. Yeah, it's all gnarly stuff. That that H one hundreds, but but the three of them on Havoc. So was that no? They, the-, the first two were on uh, dismantle, and actually one of them, uh, one of the records they did, I think, was a split release later on. Um, sorry, the Dismantle Seven Inch was on Kitchigai Records. I'm trying to remember the name of the label. Now I'm blanking on it. I should definitely know this. Yeah, Blood I mean, Clot you're, Records you're, was another label that it did. You're on. younger than me. I mean, there's no excuse. Yeah, no, it's Blood Clot <laughs> Records. That's it. And it's, it's, uh, it, yeah, like that Seven Inch. And then Burrito Records, actually, from Florida. Yes, a, Bob Sturman. Bob Sturman, or whatever his name was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it all, you know, weirdly comes full circle back to Florida. <laughs> I was gutted when, because I always wanted to go to that Sound Idea record shop. And then the time I was here, and we, we we do shows in Tampa, which is we go we go through Brandon, which is also a death metal capital as well. Of, Absolutely, uh, yeah. Ruby's Pub or whatever. But um, and then he sold he sold all his records and moved out, and I don't know. Um, what what about Felix von Havoc? Is he still doing houses or whatever? That was yeah, no, him? he's actually and he's just gotten really active on Instagram. He still, um, you know, kind of coordinates Extreme Noise Records there and still like does the contracting stuff. And he's now on Instagram posting all these incredible old flyers. Like I keep telling you, you of all people, like forget Twitter. You need to be on <laughs> Instagram, Robbie, because that's where like it's just like, you know, it's it's still really inspiring to me how much you love it and how much you care about it. And just like, you know, you talked about it on the first episode, like there's just like, you know, a certain type of, of person that's drawn to this music, you know, and, and finding out that, you know, someone who was in both sides of these worlds is, is as deep ahead as you are is, you know, just very gratifying for someone like me. And you're always welcome here. You were a legend, Robbie, when I no. just knew you as a tape collector. Behave yourself with you, man. Behave yourself. I just got to tell you quick, uh, Ruby Riot to, who, who, um, obviously, he's progressed to the main roster, and uh, you know she's done very well for herself. She had a tryout, so at, at the tryout, everyone's like tense and wound up and whatever else. And I knew she was like a punk, so we're doing the we're doing like rolls. So I've got a like so the, there's four rings. So you got to do two rolls in that ring, get out. Two rolls in that ring, get out. Two rolls. 
So it goes like that. So she comes in my, in my ring for the first, what, name me your top five punk bands. So she she says something, I don't know, it might be bad religion. So she can't, second one, so second time around, she says something like Fugazi. And then, what, what are they called? What are they, are they called Fidelity 4 or whatever? I went, stop, stop, stop now. You're not a punk. <laughs> Just, is it Fidelity 4? Is that, is that, a, is that, I don't know Fidelity Four. Maybe they are right because I'm like, you know, as I say, you you got me when you're talking old Japanese hardcore, but you lose me when you're talking modern uh, some of the modern stuff. Yeah, they're more like an uh, like an indie rock band, and like we always joked because obviously she got signed after that, but we always joked about that. And then, um, we went to a couple of gigs in uh, Ron, Ron's pub, but she like she kind of she's like the sort of the new the new age of punk, like with the epitaph and um fat wreck stuff and all that i heard i heard her misfit story where she went to the misfit show and danzig freaked out and is a huge fan oh wow do you hear that story no no i haven't uh... <laughs> i'll tell you that whole thing off air but yeah danzig's a super fan oh wow that's mad <laughs> like it, yeah she was uh it's there's not many times that you you know there's a wrestling punk like especially growing up in in, in england they were all uh I used to always get that one, like, oh, you like the Beatles? No. No, I just because I come from Liverpool, like, you know, it's like, but, but anyways, I digress. Well, Robbie, anytime you want to digress more, this podcast, you know, this is the record-setting episode. This is the longest episode we've ever done. So Is, it, is this longer than the last one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. We're, 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 I think, 45 minutes longer than the last one. But that's because this is the best, dude. Like, this is why I do this thing. <laughs> Well, you, 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 you take years off me, lads. That's all I can say. Thank you, Robbie, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Robbie will be back for a part four, technically part three, really, at some point in the near future. And and trust me, I it, it, it could be tomorrow. I could come up tomorrow and be like, do you want to do this again? Let's do this again. So uh, I, I love... Love, love having him on this show. Thank you so much for doing that, Robbie. All right, next week. Next week, it's one that we were working on for a while. Tristan, really, hats off to you for making this happen. Tristan kept on it and, and you know, was persistent, and now it's finally come to be. We had heard rumors about this for a while. Uh, it had actually been hip to me by a listener. I got to find out the listener's name. Um, if you if you hear this, reach out and... Uh, you know, I got to thank you personally for for uh, hipping me to this thing. Next week on the show, Talib Kweli from from Black Star, from tons of uh, you know really important records that he's made himself as a solo artist. You know, just a a massive cultural figure, and he is on the show next week to talk to us about the the hip hop punk connection, the punk rap connection. Anyway. From wrestling to rap, that's how we do it here on Turn Down a Punk. Well, that's it. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. You got your lives to live. But remember, as always, black lives matter. The lives of indigenous people matter. Go out there right now. Show up. Get involved. Sign up. Donate money. Do, do what you can because, you know, we keep talking about it. This is a huge moment, a huge cultural moment. And you want to make sure you're on the right side of history right now. Uh, wear your masks. Definitely wear your mask. Wash your hands. Uh, respect other people's boundaries, 
go out there and make your own culture or stay inside and make your own culture maybe is probably better right now, but make your own culture. Put yourself out there. Check in on your friends. Please, please check in on your friends. Hug your friends. Tell them that you love them. Check in on people you know that are alone right now. Um, sign your organ donor cards. God, like I'm giving a lot of instructions right now, but I think these are all you know things we could all do. Sign your organ donor cards because when they come looking for those organs, you're not going to need them, and uh, you know it's it's a it's a good thing to give. Uh, and that's it. I, I love you. Please stay safe out there. Um, yeah, and checking on your friends. Rest in peace to Wade Allison to Riley Gale, to Sid McRae, to Toots, to Horatio Dilbert. Um, I, I just keep Danny Havoc. The list keeps going on and on. Um, you know, please right now, check in on the people you love and, uh, and we'll get through this. All right. I love you, everyone. Stay safe.